Well, good morning, everyone. Before we officially gavel in, I recognize the gentleman from Arkansas here just to offer, uh, in our Agriculture Committee tradition, uh, just to offer uh, a blessing over uh, our members here and, quite frankly, uh, uh, these proceedings in our nation. Mr. Crawford. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Heavenly Father, I just bow humbly before you, thankful for every blessing of life, Lord. Thankful for this nation that you've given us, Father. I just uh, thankful for each member that's represented here. It's my prayer today that um, everything that's said and done here will bring honor and glory to your name. And it is in your name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks, sir. Uh, the committee will come to order. Welcome and thank you for joining today's hearing entitled... The Future of Digital Assets, Providing Clarity for the Digital Asset Spot Markets. After brief opening remarks, members will receive testimony from our witnesses today, and then the hearing uh, will be open to uh, questions. And so I will uh, lead on with uh, my opening statement. Uh, good morning, and welcome to our full committee hearing on the future of digital assets. Uh, thank you to our esteemed panel of witnesses for making uh, the time to be with us today. Uh, indeed, this is a rare opportunity to have so many established current and former regulators in one room. Uh, uh, Chairman Benham, we appreciate you for your and your colleagues on the second panel for providing us with your expertise, your knowledge, and thoughtful feedback on how Congress should develop a, a viable regulatory framework for for digital assets. It is no secret blockchain technology and digital assets hold real promise. From improving our banking and financial services to providing data privacy and improving supply chain logistics, these technologies have the potential to transform everyday lives for Americans. As we look to put up clear guardrails for digital assets, it is important consumers and market participants benefit from the same long-standing customer protections found in traditional financial markets. For nearly a decade, Congress has debated the treatment of digital assets, which has led to numerous hearings, bill, bill introductions, and panel discussions, all trying to bring regulatory certainty and clarity to these novel technologies. These past activities have helped move the needle forward but further thoughtful coordination between committees and members is required. At the outset, I, I need to thank Chairman uh, Patrick McHenry uh, with the Financial Services Committee for his leadership and willingness to collaborate on this novel and challenging topic. Uh, late last year, we agreed to embark on a joint effort to work collaboratively and craft a comprehensive digital asset market structure framework. We set our eyes to a bold plan but one that was driven by logical and sensible principles for digital asset regulations led by fostering American innovation and bringing much needed customer protections to digital asset related activities and intermediaries. We sought to put forward the best policies we could by developing them together. We held numerous member and staff education events, including one-on-one -on -one meetings, roundtables, and hearings to bring folks up to a speed on how current market structures for commodities and securities operate, how digital assets fit and do not fit into existing regulatory regimes, and why congressional action is needed. Last month, Subcommittee Chairman Dusty Johnson and Subcommittee Chairman French Hill held a joint subcommittee hearing, the first one on digital assets that we're aware of, to examine digital assets with both our committees working together. 
From these events, it is not hard to conclude that current federal laws and regulations provide few rules of the road for those who want to engage with these emerging technologies, leading to complicated enforcement actions by regulator, regu yeah, regulators and creating further confusion in the industry and market. To address these concerns, Chairman McHenry and I went to work and developed an initial discussion draft providing the contours of a statutory framework for digital assets that was released last week. The discussion dr draft intends to provide certainty, fill regulatory gaps, and bolster innovation. But, I, but, and I cannot reiterate this enough, this is a draft, and we plan to improve it through further vigorous debate, stakeholder feedback, and technical assistance. It is our intention to work with our Democratic colleagues on this proposal and continue this committee's longstanding tradition of working in a bipartisan manner. It is our hope that we will have a bipartisan joint committee legislative proposal. The United States has always been a leader in financial and technological innovation, and we have the most liquid and robust markets in the world. It is incumbent on us to not miss this opportunity and to bring certainty to digital asset markets. Other nations like European Union, Singapore, Hong Kong, and the United Kingdom have already put pen to paper and have created frameworks and established themselves as hubs for the development of the digital asset ecosystem. It is time that we do our work here in the United States too. Build a framework of, for trusted, reliable, and useful markets for digital assets. Before I close, I do want to address one more elephant in the room. Earlier today, the SEC filed a complaint against one of our witnesses, Coinbase. While I will not and cannot speak to any of the specific allegations against the company, I do want to note that this action is exactly why we are holding our hearing here today. Regulation by enforcement is not an appropriate way to govern a market, adequately protect customers, or promote innovation. And I hope that the members of our committee can work together to pull together a better framework for digital asset regulation that promotes customer protections, provides clear lines of authority to regulators, and allows the regulated to clearly understand their obligations under the law. Again, thank you to each of our witnesses for their willingness to partake in today's hearing, and I look forward uh, to, uh, to our conversation. With that, I'd, I'd now like to welcome the distinguished ranking member, the gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Scott, for any opening remarks he would like to give. Thank you, Chairman, and uh, welcome, Chairman Beanham. It's great having you. As you know, Chairman Beanham, I have a long history of fighting for more resources for the CFTC. So it shouldn't surprise you when you hear me say that the CFTC needs and deserves more funding, particularly at this critical time. The markets of the CFTC regulates are ever evolving with the CFTC needs the resources to get the right talent and the right technology to continue its work. And this proposal that we're looking at now does not respond to the wants and the needs of the CFTC. Instead, this proposal establishes a number of complex and untested processes, raising questions as to whether the provisions 
will meet the stated goals of the industry to establish clear regulatory and registration guidelines. One example of this is the provision, the provisional registration process, which would be in place while the CFTC and the SEC undergo a very resource-resource-intensive joint rulemaking process. This is very critical. Anytime you must shift long-standing regulatory processes and practices, there is a chance that something will fall through the cracks. And this bill provides no additional staffing or funding resources, and it makes this even more likely. As it currently stands, the digital asset industry, without a doubt, exposes all who choose to participate to serious potential financial risk and uncertainties. This is well-established information. We have gathered over the past several Congresses that, that this committee has highlighted these risks both in hearings and in proposed legislation. The digital commodity spot market, where many of these assets are purchased and traded by market participants, are operated according to an ill-suited regulatory regime that varies substantially based on the states in which the trading platforms are operating. That alone lets you know the depth and the height of this critical issue that we are facing. And over the past year alone, we have observed firsthand the fragility and the vulnerability of this industry. And it has lost billions of customer funds due to questionable and inefficient business practices. From the collapse and bankruptcy of major digital assets trading platforms such as Terra, the FDX, to ineffective cybersecurity practices and the inherent vulnerability of digital asset trading platforms to hackers who stole a record $3.8 billion from cryptocurrency businesses in 2022. This is not sustainable and cannot go on. I yield back the balance of my time. Well, I thank the gentleman. Uh, the chair would request that other members submit their opening statements for the record so the witnesses may begin their testimony to ensure that there is ample time for questions. Uh, our uh, witness today for our first panel is uh, Rawson Benham, who is the chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. 
Chairman Benham, we are pleased to welcome you back to the committee. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and, and we will now proceed your testimony. You'll have five minutes. The timer in front of you will count down to zero, at which point your time has expired. Uh, Chairman Benham, please uh, proceed when you're ready. Chairman Thompson, Ranking Member Scott, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to be here before you today. Since my confirmation as CFTC Chair, I have consistently highlighted the need for congressional action to address the lack of federal regulation over the digital commodity market, intending to bring this volatile market out of the shadows and into the regulatory fold. I have not done this alone. Last year, the Financial Stability Oversight Council unanimously issued a landmark report calling on Congress to enact legislation to fill the clear regulatory gap over the spot market for digital assets that are not securities. The events over the past year bring added urgency to these recommendations. The bankruptcy of several large digital asset platforms erased billions of dollars in customer funds. Multiple large market participants allegedly engaged in manipulative and abusive trading activity, including through opaque arrangements with affiliated trading platforms, undermining confidence in these nascent markets. Simply put, we know how this ends leaving billions of dollars of customer funds and investments in largely unregulated entities is a recipe for disaster. But recent history can teach us many lessons. Following the 2008 financial crisis, this committee, working on a bipartisan basis, responded with reforms to the previously unregulated swaps market that were anchored in core principles of sound market regulation, transparency, reporting, and registration to name a few. These tools are necessary to prevent future crises. Indeed, one of the only FTX entities that avoided the broader FTX bankruptcy last year did so because of CFTC regulation that mandated any registered entities maintain segregation of customer funds, sufficient financial resources, and proper governance. I believe the broader digital commodity market should be subject to similar time-tested regulations focused on protection of customer assets, surveillance of trading activity, prohibitions on conflicts of interest, and imposition of cybersecurity standards. I am encouraged by the continued interest of both parties in Congress and the administration to address the regulatory gap over digital commodities and generally support legislative efforts by this committee to provide the CFTC with additional authority to do just that. That said, it is critically important that any new legislation considered by Congress does not undermine existing laws. Most notably, where securities laws apply, the Securities and Exchange Commission should use its robust authorities to protect customers and address information gaps. I'd like to highlight those areas that I think are particularly important for Congress to address in any legislation on this issue. For retail market participants, Congress should ensure that the CFTC is fully empowered to require registered entities to make necessary disclosures regarding a variety of matters, such as investment risk, cybersecurity risk, mining, settlement practices, and other related activities. Ensure customers are receiving the best available prices and segregate and safeguard assets in the event of a failure. We also know that these markets are often promoted as a form of financial inclusion to populations that may be most vulnerable to the inherent risks in these assets 
as well as to the predatory financial schemes. Any legislation in this area should recognize this dynamic and require additional work and study to better understand how these populations interact with this market. In the absence of federal market regulation, the digital asset market has been plagued by fraud and manipulation. The CFTC has been aggressive and proactive in policing these markets, bringing over 85 cases, resulting in over $4 billion in penalties and restitution. But our legal authority in the spot market for digital commodity tokens is necessarily limited to acting only after the fraud has occurred. A key feature of any regulatory scheme should be authority for the CFTC to proactively establish rules to minimize fraud in the first place. This should include authority to set stringent standards for preventing conflicts of interest, establish rules for maintaining fair, open, and transparent markets, and actively monitoring trading by market participants. Presently, the CFTC is the only financial market regulator that relies on appropriated dollars from Congress for its funding. Other financial regulators have self-funding mechanisms in place that provide greater assurance that their fiscal year budget requests will be fully funded. For any regulator taking on new authority, it's imperative that the Congress provide the resources necessary to implement the new authority. Regulation of the digital commodity market will bring new responsibilities to the CFTC that cannot be managed by simply folding this newer market into our existing regulatory regime with existing resources. I want to thank the committee again for the opportunity to testify today. I am encouraged by the committee's efforts to address difficult policy issues in the digital asset space, in particular, addressing the existing gaps in regulation. I stand ready to engage with this committee and members of Congress on this legislation to ensure it addresses all key considerations in this emerging marketplace. I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you. Well, Chairman, thank you so much. Thank you for your important testimony today. This time, members will be recognized for questions in order of seniority, alternating between majority and minority members and in order of arrival for those who joined us after the hearing convened. You'll be recognized for five minutes, each in order to allow us to get to as many questions as possible. And I now recognize myself for, uh, for five minutes. Uh, Chairman Benham, you, you've been discussing the regulatory gap with respect to the digital commodity cash markets for years now. Why is it so important for Congress to proactively work to close this gap? Thank you, Chairman. It's an extremely important question and really, I think, the reason why we're, why we're here. Um, what we've observed over the past decade, if not more, is an emerging transition to commodity cash markets that retail participants can uh, use. Traditionally, markets, commodity markets that this committee knows well, are wholesale oriented and used for risk management. But because of technology, because of smartphones, and because of emerging access to markets, reducing barriers to access, we're seeing retail participants have greater exposure to commodity assets as they are defined by US law. So we're in this space where we have two market regulators, the Securities Exchange Commission, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, we regulate derivatives. This committee knows that well. We do not regulate cash commodity markets. The SEC regulates security markets, both cash markets and derivatives markets. So in this larger Venn diagram of market regulation, the one area that is not covered is commodity cash markets. And as these financial assets are defined, and I will focus most notably on Bitcoin and Ether, 
these two assets make up 60% of the digital asset market. And at least Bitcoin, which we know has a determination by a federal court, I've argued in the past that Ether is a commodity. We have a listed Ether futures contract. If you take these two tokens alone, you're talking about 60% of the digital asset market that potentially lives inside of this regulatory vacuum. So I've been advocating, as you said, for a number of years, as a market regulator, as the chair of the CFTC, bringing all of these enforcement cases, seeing vulnerable communities being taken advantage of, losing money, customer money, obviously all of the bankruptcies we saw last year, which uh, Congressman Scott mentioned, this is the area that I am highlighting, advocating for, hopefully that Congress can address so we can fill that gap and ultimately protect customers. Uh, in your testimony, you mentioned the recommendations of the Financial Stability Oversight Council, FSOC, regarding the regula regulation of non-security digital assets in this 2022 report on digital asset financial stability, risks, and regulation. Would you briefly elaborate on the recommendations that FSOC, FSOC made with respect to addressing the regulatory gaps in non-security digital asset cash markets? Thanks, Chairman. I, I will be brief because, uh, in short, the recommendation was that there is a gap for digital tokens that are not securities. So the FSOC report, as you noted, recognize the fact that for commodity digital tokens, there is no regulatory authority or regulatory oversight. I would add the FSOC report also emphasized that all regulators utilize all enforcement tools to the extent they can. And as you know, and as I said in my statement, we're doing what we can with the authority that we have, which is at this time quite limited. Uh, does the discussion draft uh, address the many concerns that the FSOC report raised? Chairman, it does. It does in the sense that you are trying to target this gap and uh, essentially provide the CFTC with regulatory authority over commodity tokens. Uh, and Chairman, while we know, all know that the CFTC is a significantly smaller agency than the SEC, it has also shown itself to be a more nimble regulator. Do you believe that the Commission has the flexibility to expand and adapt to a change in its remit? Chairman, we've done this in the past, most recently after the 2000 financial crisis and the implementation of the 2010 Dodd-Frank law um, to take on the swaps market, the previously unregulated swaps market, was a significant lift for the CFTC at the time. But I think if you ask anyone, both in the US and globally, uh, the CFTC was one of the most efficient and effective regulators in implementing a whole new regulatory scheme over a very large and very complicated market. So I don't think this situation that we're dealing with right now in terms of digital asset commodities is much different. As Ranking Member Scott said, and as you mentioned yourself, with appropriate funding, uh, given the expertise we have and the experience we have with digital assets, I have no doubt that the Commission and our staff will be able to implement a regulatory regime over digital asset commodities. Very good. Well, thank you so much. I yield back, and I'm pleased to recognize my good Good friend, the ranking member for five minutes of questioning. Thank you. Uh, Chairman Beanham, what will be the effect of providing no additional funding resources to the SEC and the F uh, CFTC to implement this proposal according to the joint rulemaking process established in the proposal? Uh, thank you, 
Ranking Member Scott, you know, I appreciate you highlighting this point. Um, it really would be ineffective or we would not be able to appropriately and impactfully implement the law that you would ask us to do. We, we would need teams to work on the rule implementation, which is very complex, as you know. We would need resources both for IT purposes, hardware and software, we would need new cyber protections. And of course, as you point out with the Joint Advisory Committee, we would have, as I understand the law requires per diem requirements for the members, all of these new financial burdens and responsibilities. So given all of the market issues we're facing today, new markets, emerging markets, and as you pointed out, a growing futures and options and swaps market, if we were given new authority to regulate the digital commodity markets, uh, it would be critically important in order to do it right that the CFTC had new additional funding to match that responsibility. And uh, Chairman, can you estimate for me the amount of time that the joint rulemaking process would take without additional resources? Well, I would say that you know, it's, it's always difficult to estimate, but I've, I've evaluated certain circumstances where we did get additional funding and it would take at least one to two years to implement rules. So under your scenario where we do not get additional funding, given all the existing responsibilities we have in traditional derivatives markets, I would estimate that this could take upwards of three to four years to implement given the pull and the stress on staff to, to understand the law and to write rules uh, to implement over time. And uh, let me ask you, can you share with us, are there any benefits to this provisional framework that provide the commission with authorities or information to which you cannot currently assess? Congressman, I think the provision, the provision that outlines a period of provisional registration, um, the way I view it is it really is holding back the CFTC and prohibiting us from uh, utilizing our existing authority, which again is very limited and as you know, is very focused on anti-fraud and manipulation. Um, I think I understand the goal and the intent of what this provision is trying to accomplish, and I think there's probably a more efficient way to do it. And I would point to, again, after Dodd-Frank, when we had to implement Title VII of that bill around the swaps market, the CFTC, in a very efficient manner, finalized rules in about 12 to 24 months for the core rules, which included the definition of a swap and the framework around swap dealers and swap execution facilities. Once those rules were finalized, we were able to provisionally register swap dealers and swap execution facilities for a number of years after the rules were finalized. And the idea was we had finalized the rules, but we had some work to sort of uh, finish through before we can implement the rule. And that's when we had this provisional period. So I do think it's something the committee should consider as this draft continues to be debated uh, and discussed is reworking that provisional section so that we don't handcuff the regulator from the start. Again, we're dealing with a market that is unregulated. 
which is similar to what we were dealing with with the swaps market. We would work efficiently with appropriate funding to get the rules done as soon as possible. And then I think it would be best to have a provisional period as we work through the details of the regime and work with the registrants who are either registered exchanges, brokers, or affiliate entities. Well, I will tell you, it is very important that we make sure that we provide you with sufficient funding to do this very much needed job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank the gentleman. Now recognize uh, Congressman Austin Scott from Georgia for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chairman Beenham, good to see you. I have uh, mixed feelings about what the right thing to do here is, candidly. Um, crypto to me is clearly not a security. It, it is closer to a currency and should be regulated by the CFTC, not the SEC. But my question is, um, is, is we talk about fair, open, transparent markets, whether it be derivatives or swaps or contracts. Um, there are over 20,000 different cryptocurrencies out there today. Is that number approximately correct? I, I believe it is. Have you done any type of analysis on the workforce that you would need at the CFTC uh, if we gave you the authority uh, to register or regulate the 20,000 cryptocurrencies? Congressman, what we've done thus far, and this has been as a result of a numerous efforts that both the House and the Senate have put forward on, on bills over the past few years, is to estimate um, resource needs. And I've come up with uh, the number, roughly, as an estimate, about $120 million over three years. And that's to build teams around uh, rulemaking and how we would implement something generally that we would suspect would require registration of exchanges, brokers, custodians, and, and others. And what, what is your current budget, if I could? Our current budget is $365 million. Per year? Per year. So you're talking about another 10%? Yeah. Approximately. Our current request for FY24 is $411, $411 million. Um, I do think regarding your question about the tokens and the 20,000 tokens, you know, our, our markets, we focus on Bitcoin and ETH most, most commonly because they are listed futures contracts. We've brought a number of enforcement cases which mention other tokens, including Litecoin and others. Um, there are dynamics, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the course of the hearing, about what constitutes a security and a commodity. And I think this is what the draft bill is trying to target because there are, in fact, some tokens that, from the legal precedent we have now, resemble securities but there are certainly many that look like and act like commodities. I guess one of the questions I have is as we, as we identify of the 20,000, which ones are, for lack of better terminology, worthy of the regulatory framework? I mean, does it, it, does it have to be um, a certain dollar value, uh, a certain number of individual um, owners of, of the different cryptos? Uh, and, and how do you keep somebody from manipulating it? Obviously, if you could buy into an unregulated one and somehow manipulate the price that it became regulated, you would 
you would make yourself wealthy because once you became regulated, then you're going to be part of the, for lack of better terminology, the, the chosen ones yeah. that, that actually are able to engage in transactions. The vast majority of these 20,000 tokens you mentioned are largely not trading. You probably see if, if very little to probably no trading on a daily basis. The vast majority of the trading occurs in a small handful of tokens in the dozens at most and probably smaller than that. The idea and the concept around a regulatory regime wouldn't be any different than what you mentioned on futures or options or swaps or equities is that you'd have registered exchanges and in order to trade those tokens in a regulated way, you'd have to list the tokens on the exchange. If they remained off exchange, then that would be a violation of either the Commodity Exchange Act as refined or amended, and then of course the Security and Exchange Act as well. I do think a lot of these tokens, given where they are right now and the activity that we've seen over the past few years, would probably over time disappear, both because of the weight of regulation and because they've largely become obsolete. I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I just, I do think that you have the ability of one or two or three famous people to manipulate that. I mean, we've seen that with some of the other coins as it is, but I, I appreciate you. I have a tremendous amount of faith in your leadership and your ability to advise us as, as we push forward on this, and uh, I appreciate you being here. With that, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Now recognize the gentleman from California for five minutes, Mr. Costa. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, Chairman Bingham, um, uh, you stated, I, I, I believe, in a hearing before the uh, Senate uh, Ag Committee um, that um, following the collapse of FTX, that, um, that without any new authority, the F, uh, CFTC, uh, there would remain gaps in the federal regulatory framework. I think you kind of outlined them, even if other regulators act within their existing authority. Um, what do you think are the lessons to learn, be learned here from the, the collapse of FTX and how we prevent that from occurring again in the future? Congressman, thanks for the question. And as I stated in my, my opening remarks, you know, we had, um, we, we regulated an FTX entity, LedgerX. And, you know, and when, you, when I look at the, the scope of the bankruptcy, which was very significant globally, there was over 130 entities that had to file for bankruptcy. Could, and, could you have anticipated beforehand uh, well, of its... So the, uh, downfall? Yeah, so it, it's a good question because the lens with which we saw FTX was LedgerX, which was a highly regulated, well-resourced, well-governed entity. And that was the entity that we regulated and we focused on. To your point and your question, could we have anticipated or could we have seen, the answer is no. And the answer is because it's the reason I'm here today and what I've advocated is because we don't have authority over digital commodity tokens. And a lot of that activity occurred overseas, which is the first sort of primary barrier to our jurisdiction offshore. But the larger barrier, of course, is the fact that we don't have regulatory authority over entities that trade cash commodity tokens. So it is the area that we're here for today and hopefully we can change so we can prevent those crises from happening again. Well, you talk about overseas, and I remember when we were going through this uh, challenge with the swaps a number of years ago, uh, the uh, committee actually went to, um, to Europe, and we met with a number of the financial institutions in, in London and Frankfurt, and 
we're trying to get a sense of what the Europeans were doing. And are there any lessons to be learned that you would cite from the framework that ex exists there today? Yeah, uh, Congressman, it's another great question. You know, our, our derivatives markets are global in nature. Right. And that is the, the way they function because we have large institutions needing to manage global risk. Yeah, we're not uh, an island here. Yep. And I think the this is, in many respects, the nature of digital assets is global. There are no barriers like there are in traditional markets. And I think it is important. I participate. I'm the vice chair of IOSCO, which is an international organization of securities commissioners. I participate in the Financial Stability Board. There are a lot of efforts at the global level to coordinate rules of the road. And as was mentioned by the chairman, Europe has moved on crypto regulation, the UK, Singapore, Hong Kong. And I think it's important that we gel our rules across So borders. you think there are models there that we can follow with those? Um, I th every jurisdiction is unique, and certainly in the U.S. market, we're the largest, deepest, and we have a variety and diverse set of institutions and market participants. But at a high level, they're certainly looking at the European model is, is a good uh, mark, and some of the work that the U.K. and Singapore is doing as well is a good mark to start off with. What fears do you have most in terms of um, if we continue to go as we are uh, without the additional um, um, deficiencies that you outlined and that uh, the chair and the ranking member discussed, if we just continue with the status quo, what's your biggest fear? Congressman, I mean, the evidence is in our enforcement record, and I even point to the SEC's enforcement record as well. You know, we brought 82 cases over, you know, about eight years, and, and this 82 cases for an agency that doesn't have regulatory authority. These are all cases that we've been having coming inbound, people have been telling us. And these are individuals and institutions that are losing money, that are getting hurt and getting duped. And my fear is, if we don't address this issue from a legislative standpoint, we will continue to bring these cases. But as I point out, we're bringing these cases because of a, a very small authority that Congress provided. And it, my fear is that this is, I've said this in the past, the tip of the iceberg. And as this market ebbs and flows in size, which it has largely stabilized over the past six to nine months, if it starts to peak and move into a direction of growing, you could potentially have financial stability risks and other concerns for financial markets. Well, my time's expired, but Mr. Chairman and, and the ranking member, I think there obviously is work for us to do, and I think there is an opportunity here to establish a bipartisan framework in which we can accomplish that end to deal with the issues that uh, have been presented and I look forward to continuing to work on this effort. Thank the gentleman. Now recognize the gentleman from Arkansas, Mr. Crawford, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Chairman Ben, thanks for being here. I, you may recall the last time you were here we had a conversation about whether or not Sam Bankman-Fried was a CFTC registrant and of course he wasn't. And so that was my concern and it is, and it is my concern now. I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I share the sentiment of my colleague here, Mr. Scott, that I'm not really sure how I feel about this. I, in a way, I guess I'm kind of like standing on a platform watching the train leave the station. And there may be time for me to jump on the last car, I don't know, but that's just sort of how I feel right now. But I, I'm concerned about, you mentioned Ledger X and you had a view into what was taking place through the lens of Ledger X. Talk about what, what regulatory 
authorities existed then and what would how that would change now as it applies to Ledger X? Were they a CFTC registrant? Obviously, I'm assuming they were because you had authority. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Ledger X was a clearinghouse and a trading platform that offered fully collateralized futures options and swaps. FTX bought Ledger X in the fall of 2021. And shortly after they purchased them, LedgerX has been licensed with the CFTC since 2017 or 2018. Okay. Shortly after FTX bought LedgerX, they submitted an application, which is why I was here before, at least in part, um, to change their model mm -hmm. from fully collateralized to margined. Gotcha. But the the unique nature of it was that it was non-intermediated. So uh, you can see how that might be a problem: fully collateralized versus margin. I mean, I have some concerns about that. But I want to I want to move on on that topic. So as we start to see your, your regulatory authority expand, and we've talked about the financial needs that would would uh, um, accompany that, um, the re resources you would need. What about the the licensure? I'm talking about uh, you know are IBs going to be able to now uh, be uh, brokers for digital currency and are they going to be Series Three license holders or what's the regulatory requirement going to be? What's the licensure going to be and what what role does NFA play in that? Right. So NFA is going to play a critical role. Um, assuming it is NFA, I don't want to make any assumptions. This could change, but we have a great relationship with the National Futures Association. They are, I often say this, the boots on the ground, the direct intersection between retail participants and other market participants and markets. Uh, we would certainly need an SRO to sort of facilitate this market um, regulatory scheme. I would say a lot of the questions you raised, we would have to decide both in legislation and in, in the rule context. Would we want a traditional FCM or a broker type who offers futures and options to also be able to offer digital assets? And the question might be yes, the question, the answer to the question might be no. Or would we want a registered futures exchange to also under a CFTC license to be able to offer cash digital commodities? I think the, the draft bill proposes a new entity, a digital commodity contract market, which is parallel to what we have for futures and options. Um, so I think there are things that we have to work through, and this is why it's a draft, but certainly would welcome your steer on whether or not you would want that, um, that uh, those responsibilities to be held jointly by a single entity. Well, here's where I'm going. I mean, there are at least three vape shops in my hometown that say, buy crypto here. That's problematic. And so on that, on that score, I would say that's why we have to do this regulatory measure because we don't need just Joe Schmo at a vape shop selling crypto. But this seems to be widespread. And so uh, to, to Austin Scott's point, I mean, you got 20,000 plus currencies. How are you going to get your arms around this and determine which ones are valid, which ones are going to fall under your umbrella, and which ones are going to be sort of operating in this sort of unregulated wild, wild west space? I don't think any of the tokens should be operating in the unregulated space. They all need it to be, they need to be in the regulated space. We do have to figure out which tokens are commodities, which tokens are securities. And then the next layer to your point about us working with state regulators and the NFA is to, to weed out all of these local distributors, sellers, you know, individuals who are often scammers. And this is not unique to our 
Ponzi schemes and pump and dumps that we face every day in the future space and in the stock market. It's just a different underlying asset. And this is what's made our 82 enforcement cases. But we need the policing authority to proactively go after these individuals. And then finally, in the, in the last seconds I have, are you, are you engaging with uh, stakeholders in the banking world and, and soliciting their input? Because so far I can't find any bankers that are real warm and and, and fuzzy about this right now. I'm having conversations with the leaders of large banks and other brokers and asset managers, and I think the general consensus is a bit of skepticism, but also a bit of, I'm gonna stay on the sidelines as long as this market remains unregulated. I do think a number of the uh, you know heads of these organizations and institutions view this as a viable, or at least some of the tokens, as a viable financial instrument and one that their clients want exposure to, but they certainly don't like the idea of getting involved in markets that are unregulated. As much as they may complain about U.S. regulation, they in fact like U.S. regulation because it's clear, it's predictable, and there's law enforcement behind it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, gentlemen. Now recognize the gentlelady from Ohio, Congresswoman Brown, for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman Thompson and Ranking Member Scott. And thank you, Chairman Benham, for being here to talk uh, about digital assets again. Um, Chairman, this is the third hearing this committee has held on digital assets this Congress. Meanwhile, tomorrow will be the first time this committee talks about an issue that affects 34 million Americans. And I'm talking about food insecurity. Mr. Chairman um, Thompson, I would certainly hope that in a Farm Bill year, this committee would be holding hearings on topics that we have yet to focus on, like specialty crops, black and brown farmers, and USDA operations, rather than visiting digital assets multiple times. Um, when Chairman Thompson and Representative Henry presented their draft legislation on digital asset regulation late last week, um, written without Democratic voices at the table, it became evident why the majority is so committed. So, Mr. Chairman, I know you and your team have even less time to sift through the 162 pages of text that we have, but I am hoping you can speak to some of my concerns. So, uh, Mr. Chairman, just a few weeks ago, the House Appropriations Subcommittee marked up a bill that would dramatically cut funding to Commodities Future Trading Commissions, or CFTC. How would spending cuts like this impact the CFTC's ability to implement legislation like that we are discussing today? Thank you, Congresswoman. Uh, as you noted, our, our current budget is $365 million. Our request for FY24 is $411 million, And the proposal that came out of the Appropriations Committee a few weeks ago was $345 million. Um, given our responsibilities, given the growing interest from new stakeholders, given new risks around cyber, and just the growing nature of markets and the diverse set of constituents that are starting to come into our markets, if we were to go to $345 million, coupled with elevated costs, which we're all facing, um, this would be, quite frankly, devastating to the agency. We'd have to probably furlough quite a number of our staff, and it would really restrict our ability not only to provide the service we do through a regulatory lens, but more importantly, and one that I know you care about, is to to properly implement our enforcement program, which I, I believe is the gold standard globally. Um, and it's a statement or a, a statistic I like to share often for the past 10 fiscal years. Um, we have 
largely returned to the general treasury fund about $8 for every $1 that were appropriated. So I, I say this often, the CFTC is a good investment by the American taxpayer and the return on investment is even better. So you can imagine a cut in our budget is really, in fact, a reduction of money going to the general treasury. Thank you for that. Um, and the correlation you frequently address is the relationship between climate and cryptocurrencies, which is not addressed in this bill. So um, could you describe the kinds of climate provisions that should be addressed in a digital assets bill that come out of this committee? Thanks, Congresswoman. I think um, given the, the issue you raised, and this really is focused on the energy usage around mining for tokens, um, there have been efforts by some in the industry to change uh, the, the, the method of mining, which I applaud, uh, but it doesn't necessarily remove the issue that you raise, and it's one that we have to be very focused on. So I do think as this committee considers this draft, two thoughts come to mind is further studying the issue and getting a better sense of what the mining uh, capacity is and what the energy usage really is here domestically, what types of energy sources are used to actually mine the tokens, whether it's fossil fuels or renewables. I know there's been a shift in that as well. Uh, and then ultimately, I think the best, or one of the best uh, so uh, solutions to this problem is disclosures, it's transparency. It's giving the community of investors information about the tokens that they're investing in. And I'm hopeful that with more information, transparent information about energy usage or mining techniques, that will push the market towards more, I'll say, less energy intensive practices around mining. All right, well, thank you for that. With um, that, Mr. Chairman, I yield back the balance of my time. Thank you, Chair. And I recognize uh, Mr. Bost for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chairman Denham, uh, you know, futures commissions, uh, commissions, Merchants play an important role in enabling farmers to participate in futures markets, hedge the risk, provide them with access to exchanges and clearinghouses. I think we can both agree that uh, it's important to understand the risk with future, tra future trades. Uh, can you talk about the obligation that the FCMs have to disclose these risks to their clients? Uh, there are a number of requirements that both the CFTC and the NFA, the National Futures Association, requires of the FCMs to, to provide disclosures to their customers. I would say, generally speaking, though, Congressman, a lot of the disclosures in the derivatives and, more importantly, the commodity markets are around risk of loss and the, the actual contract specifications themselves. And I want to very be targeted in my response to you. This really goes to the heart of the discussion we're having today is when you have a commodity asset and you have a regulated market structure around it, which we set and you know this committee implements, it's really about creating fair, transparent, and orderly markets for the financial asset to trade on. And then there are important disclosures around risk of loss and other information about the contract specifications. This is unique and very distinct from what happens in the securities market because there is a requirement around disclosures for securities that is far greater and deeper in terms of what the asset is, who is the individual or group of individuals that are managing the company or the institution that is generating those securities and what information the investor needs to know about that issuer in this case. So 
getting back to your question is the FCM has serious and significant responsibilities around disclosures, but they are unique in the sense of what a commodity asset needs to, what needs to be disclosed about a commodity asset. Okay, you may have answered what I was gonna go with the follow-up follow question, and, but would it be helpful to require brokers, dealers, and exchangers in the digital commodity to do the same though? Yeah, absolutely, and there'd be a number of different areas we would need to focus on. We would certainly look for a steer from this committee, but this would be the analysis that the agency does with a new law, is to think about what types of disclosures an investor would need to know about a digital commodity token. Certainly risk of loss, certainly some information about the token itself, and other information about the regulated entity that is facilitating the trading of the token. So uh, the, what we're discussing in this draft that, that, that we're providing is just the CFTC and the National Futures Association will have the authority to require similar disclosures on CFTC's re uh, registered digital commodities, correct? Correct. Yeah. So my second question, uh, I'll try to get it in here. In 2010, when Dodd-Frank, and I think you brought this up in your opening, Dodd-Frank significantly, or maybe it was one of the other questions, expanded the ju uh, jurisdiction of the CFTC from the futures and options market to the 500 trillion swap markets. That increased uh, jurisdiction required agency to undertake a significant number of rulemaking. Having the, the experience and knowing exactly what the transition process and the time could to take for, if the CFTC is given the authority over digital commodities and cash market, and do you, do you believe that it would be a complex or difficult process and how long and how costly do you think it would be? The, the, Congressman, thank you for the question. You know, we, I, as I said earlier, I've estimated that a similar regulatory regime to the one in this draft bill would cost about $120 million over three years. It would require standing up multiple rulemaking teams. It would require hardware and software from an IT perspective and increased cyber protections. These are just estimates, but gives you a sense of what we would need over, over a period of time to implement the rules. I do think the rulemaking process would take between six and 24 months, roughly. Um, we have the experience. You noted this. We did this in 2010. I, I stand by what I said earlier. We were one of the most efficient quick and effective regulators across the globe to implement over-the-counter derivatives regulation. It was difficult, it is complicated, but I think with the mandate and, and appropriate funding, the agency is well-suited, has the expertise and the competency to do it in a, in a very efficient manner. Yeah, I, I just wanna say thank you for being here today. I wanna thank the, the chair for putting this together because I know some others were saying that, you know, we've, we've hit on this pretty hard, but this kind of explains why we've got to hit on this, why we have to have the oversight. And believe me, I'm not a big regulation person. And believe me, I'm also an old guy that just kind of watches from the side on, on uh, Bitcoin and all of the others. But this is a, a real concern. I think we have to be ready for it. So thank you for being here. I yield back. Chair recognizes Ms. Caraveo for uh, five minutes. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you to Chair Thompson and Ranking Member Scott for today's hearing, and um, to you, Chairman, uh, for being here this morning. Uh, you know, recently this industry has seen the collapse and bankruptcy, as we've talked about, of large market players and enforcement actions taken by the CFTC and other federal financial regulators to go after abusive and man manipulative trading practices. Uh, the framework envisioned in, the, in this discussion draft is incredibly complex, but the harms posed to customers by this industry are very real. This framework is also a departure from the current regulatory approach and would require an extensive joint rulemaking process and establishing a new provisional registration framework while the rulemaking is underway. So I want to reiterate, just as the ranking member did, um, and as I have in previous uh, hearings, that funding would be needed to support this process, which this proposal lacks, as has been pointed out. Um, in addition to the provisions included in this proposal, I would like to discuss what has been left out. The CFTC has been engaged in digital asset conversations going back to as early as 2014. Over that time, the commission has developed significant expertise, participating in interagency discussions and reports concerning the appropriate regulatory framework of these assets, and you've been active in enforcement as well. So given the CFTC's ex expertise, Chairman Benham, and work in this area, are there any considerations missing from this proposal? Thanks, Congresswoman. I, I would say that um, I agree with you. You know, I, I have concerns around the provisional registration scheme. I do think there's probably a path forward and one that we can look to the past on to sort of dictate what would be an effective way to have provisional registration without handcuffing the agency. Uh, funding, you raise that. I mean, I, that is certainly the number one. If we want enough, if we want to be successful in this endeavor, the agency is going to need more resources given our core responsibility in the futures options and swaps market and their enforcement actions in the in the digital asset market. Um, I would also point out that um, there are a number of things that I mentioned this around disclosures to make sure that we're providing appropriate disclosures both you know on the energy usage side on there's a huge debate about digital assets and financial inclusion which can be a very positive thing but we have to do it again in the right way because with opportunity comes risk and the risk in this space is fraud and there's no doubt in my mind that there are fraudsters out there taking advantage of financially illiterate people and often that happens in lower income communities. So we would need to be very focused on making sure we have the resources to get information out to the investment community. I think on a, from a larger perspective, the bill does include many of the core um, responsibilities and requirements that you would want of a market regulator around registration, surveillance, monitoring trading practices, um, having you know requirements around conflicts of interest and governance and financial resources. I say all that with caution because like you, we're just looking at the bill right now. So I do think there is a lot of work to be done, but I think structurally and from a foundational level, many of the core elements that I've been asking for and that you would want in a market regulatory structure exist in the bill. It's just a matter of doing a deep dive analysis, making sure it jives with our existing laws, and we can get it right given the nature of these digital assets. Really appreciate that. I think it's important to, to have these conversations continue, especially on a bipartisan basis, um, and to know if there are any gaps there. Um, this proposal also changes how commodities and securities are defined, uh, focusing on how a digital asset is traded rather than the characteristics of the asset being traded. Um, do you think that there are any implications to this definition, and do you have any thoughts and concerns on um, this approach, which prioritizes the technology um, and not the classification necessarily? 
Congressman, thanks for the question. You know, as I said in my statement, and I'll just repeat it, you know, we, we need to make sure that this does not compromise any existing law, both the CEA or the Securities Exchange Act of 33, 34, other laws from our prudential regulators. I think from a definitional, definitional standpoint, it's, it's critical to, when we think about this question about a commodity versus a security, what the bill does well is focuses on decentralization as a key characteristic of what would constitute a commodity or security. I've said this for years. This really goes to the heart of any definitional discrepancy between the two financial assets, whether it's wheat, crude oil, or copper, or in this case, a digital asset. So that really should be the sort of nucleus of how we define and how we start the conversation. I also think it's really important to think about where the investor is getting the asset from. And is, it, is he or she getting the asset from an issuer, which given the securities laws, that would most notably represent or reflect a security, or is the investor purchasing the token from a registered CFTC exchange? In that case, you have that more decentralized, decentralized um, connection between the investor and, and the issuer. And I'm not suggesting you can't have a token on an exchange that's not a security. It just is in this complex arc of tokens which can transition from securities to commodities. We have to think about these very difficult questions. So improvements for sure I think need to be made. I think you're asking the right questions. We certainly would look forward to working with you and helping you with this. But I do think at its core some of the key questions are included. We just need to make sure that we're getting all of them uh, wrapped around our head. Appreciate that and look forward to continuing to work with you. Thank you. Chair, I now recognize Mr. Johnson for five minutes. Thanks for being here, Mr. Chairman. We've had a number of uh, uh, subcommittee hearings on these topics over the last few months, and seemingly everybody, whether it's a majority witness or a minority witness, indicates that the lack of regulatory clarity is pushing uh, market activity and pushing innovation overseas. Despite that fact, there are some who argue that, oh, the SEC's got this. We, we don't need to muddy the waters with new legislation. Uh, SEC has got the authority they need. They'll take care of it. You don't worry your pretty little heads. I find myself pretty skeptical of that argument that inaction is what the day calls for. Uh, give us your sense. Congressman, thanks for the question. And, uh, you know, I think shared uh, sense of facing headwinds because there's a lot of criticism out there and that's fine, that comes with the job. Uh, but ultimately, as I said to the chairman and I've repeated many times in the past, um, this, is not about, this is not a zero sum game. For anything that the CFTC might get in legislative authority or legal authority, I'm not taking it from someone else. There is a regulatory vacuum. There's a gap in regulation over digital commodity assets. And as much as I agree that the SEC has authority over security assets, the fact of the matter is the largest token Bitcoin is a commodity, and that's been determined by a federal court, and that under U.S. law is unregulated. And there are at least a number, I know one of, uh, exchanges that list very few tokens where there has been legal clarity and around whether or not they're commodities and securities. So you can imagine 
an exchange just veering towards a few tokens and that living in a regulatory vacuum. So that's why we're here. We got to fill this gap. So the discussion draft envisions that it would be the SEC that would ultimately deal with this rebuttable presumption of decentralization. But you're an expert market regulator. So as you reviewed the discussion draft, and I know you haven't had weeks to do it, but did the, uh, the meat on the bone uh, around the Howey test regarding some of these factors that would be considered for decentralization, did that make sense to you? Congressman, I think, as I said earlier, the, the general framework, I think, is right and can be built on with some tweaks and, and technical assistance. Certainly, we would want to dig into the bill a bit more before we give our, our clear opinion on where it should go. But as I've articulated over the past few years and as the Howey test has articulated for the better part of 70 years or so, maybe even 80, we have to think about decentralization as the core question when we're asking, is an asset a commodity or security? The other thing that I do like about the bill as a, again, on a foundational level, is the question around where is the investor getting the asset from, which I think is also a critical question. Is the investor getting the asset from an issuer, which obviously makes it much more like a security, or is the investor getting the asset from a third-party exchange or trading venue, which doesn't eliminate the chance of it being a security, but certainly puts it in a much clearer lens around the commodity space. Yeah, and that's why I like there are a couple of different provisions in that decentralization test, I think, that, that calls that out specifically. Um, so what about, you talked about wanting to make sure that they, some of these new concepts that we've got in the bill, uh, some of this intermediary registration, uh, jives with existing your existing statutory authority. Uh, we we very purposely didn't want to just try to make these folks brokers and dealers as already defined. We created new definitions: digital commodity broker, digital commodity dealer, uh, and so on. Do you feel like we struck the right balance there with making it similar to, but not exactly the same as the existing intermediary regime? Congressman, I have uh, a lot of faith in our existing regulatory framework for futures options and swaps. I think it's, as I said in my statement, it's time tested, it's worked well. Uh, we are constantly amending it to the extent markets evolve and change. But ultimately, when we think about transparent, fair, orderly markets where investors have access to information and they know who they're dealing with, whether it's at the broker level, the exchange level, the custodian level, or on the backside of a trade, a clearinghouse, or a settlement agency, these are the core components of market structure that have worked for many, many decades. And I think that's where the bill focuses on, and that's a great starting point. So, Mr. Chairman, we, we tried not to just grab all these digital asset folks and fit them into your existing buckets. We created new buckets. Is that an approach that you're comfortable with? Yeah, I think there. I think over time we'll probably learn how you can uh, the two tradi traditional assets can intersect with digital assets. But at this point, I do think the approach in in sort of siloing them and having unique classifications for both the entities that would facilitate trading or brokering um, is the right approach at, at this point. Very good, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Uh, Chair, now recognize Ms. Salinas for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you to Chair Thompson and Ranking Member Scott, and thank you, Chair Benham, for being before us today. So I'm going to take it back to the people who have really been harmed by a lot of this. So fraud, scams, and manipulation in cryptocurrency markets are growing increasingly rampant around the nation, and particularly in my home state of Oregon. 
That false promise of easy money combined with folks' limited knowledge and experience with cryptocurrency sets up that perfect storm for scammers to take advantage of people. In the first 10 months of 2022, the FBI reported that Oregonians were swindled out of about 13.6 million in cryptocurrency scams. And in February, a federal grand jury in Oregon indicted four Russian nationals, founders of a purportedly decentralized cryptocurrency investment platform, for their roles in a global Ponzi and pyramid scheme that raised approximately 340 million from victim investors. The impact of all this malicious activity on everyday Americans is heartbreaking to hear. And I have a local Fox 12 news story um, that showed a Portland man in his 60s fell into depression and anxiety after losing over $200,000 of his hard-earned life savings in a crypto scam. So in your most simplest terms, again, trying to take this back to my constituents, Chair Benham, can you identify what the CFTC and other federal government agencies are doing right now to protect Americans from fraud and manipulation in the digital asset arena? And what should the complementary roles for those agencies look like moving forward? Thanks, Congresswoman. Um, and I'm going to start with the very, you know, we, we have multiple regulatory agencies in the U.S. Uh, government, and um, there are benefits to that. There are some flaws as well, uh, one can argue. But the fact of the matter is, you know, from a market regulatory standpoint, we have two types of financial assets, securities and commodities, just speaking generally. Uh, and many of these tokens fall within the securities bucket, but I'll focus on the commodity side, which at least one has been determined, as I said uh, to Congressman Johnson, as a commodity. I believe others are commodities as well. And this creates this gap. Um, the authority that we have right now, which is extremely limited, um, allows us to police cash markets. So we're a derivatives market regulator, but we can police cash markets um, if there's fraud or manipulation. The biggest um, Achilles to this authority is we have to wait for individuals to come to us and tell us you should check out this individual or this scam or this fraud. So of these 82 cases we've brought for the better part of eight years, nearly all, if not all of them, have been because people have come to us. And I can tell you unequivocally that's not how we want to run a regulatory scheme. We need proactive regulation, we need registration, we need surveillance, we need monitoring of markets, of individuals, of institutions who are offering these assets to vulnerable citizens in Oregon and across the country. So we are doing what we can with what we have. I am very proud of what we've accomplished under many chairs and commissions, uh, and we will continue to do that. But ultimately, as I've said this earlier today and in the past, we are probably dealing with the tip of the iceberg, and we need to address that larger problem here. And regardless of what some may say, um, this technology is here, the markets exist, they trade, and every day they trade, someone is likely getting taken advantage of. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I yield back. Chair, now recognize Mr. Baird for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I appreciate this opportunity uh, to have this discussion. So, uh, the chairman and ranking member. I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. And, uh, Mr. Chairman, I really appreciate you being here and sharing your observations and experience with us so that we can make good decisions on this committee. Uh, my first question deals with the fact that, um, you know, uh, segregation of, of customer funds has really been the bedrock of, of security and so on. 
and protecting uh, customers in the derivatives market. Uh, so can you explain to us uh, how these funds might be separated and, and segregated and, and explain um, uh, what's appropriate, in your opinion, for protecting customers? Thanks, Congressman. You know, I, you, you use the word bedrock, and I think I'm going to repeat that because when I think about the CFTC, and I know when others who are in the CFTC markets, either on a regulatory perspective or a, a registrant perspective, um, customer funds are sacrosanct. And it is because the rules that the Commodity Exchange Act, that the law the Commodity Exchange Act has and the rules behind it have set up um, focus as the highest priority segregating, as you point out, customer funds. And really the idea is to ensure that customer funds are completely separate and siloed from an intermediary or a broker that's facilitating the trading of futures options or, or swaps. And ultimately, what we're trying to also protect is that if there is a bankruptcy or a failure of an intermediary or a broker, or in this case an FCM, which does happen periodically, uh, thankfully not often, uh, we need to make sure that any claims against that broker are walled off to the customer, right? So that the customer funds are completely walled off and protected from any third-party claims against the broker that the customer uses. And I think what the draft bill does well is largely mimics or at least uses the customer seg regime that the CFTC has right now to use and to think about as a baseline or a foundation for this digital asset market. Um, one of the biggest issues and concerns we're facing in this new nascent but growing marketplace is the segregation of customer funds. And we saw that last year with FTX. We've seen that more recently with cases against Binance, both from the SEC and the CFTC, all allegations at this point. But bottom line is this customer segregation and commingling of customer funds is one of the most important issues that needs to be addressed. And I'm, I'm uh, uh, encouraged by the effort of the draft bill to do this and certainly look forward to working with the committee to make sure that we get it right. Thank you. Uh, my other question deals with uh, the CFTC's relationship with the National Futures Association. Can you describe that and see how that, that partnership yeah, that, benefits this situation? Thank you, Congressman. The, the NFA is a partner, um, and they've been a close partner uh, as long as both the agency and the NFA have been around, you know, about uh, 45 and 40 years, uh, respectively. Um, and we uh, are, I view them, as I said earlier, as our boots on the ground partner, right? They are the entity, the, the SRO, the self-regulatory organization, that has the closest intersection and relationship with our registrants and our stakeholders. They provide invaluable disclosures, protections, education and literacy around our markets for all users down to retail farmers and ranchers to you know, swap dealers and other uh, institutions like FCMs. Um, we are thinking about the depth and breadth of the markets we oversee both here in the US and overseas an SRO like the NFA is an absolute necessity. So I am also encouraged by the fact that the draft bill considers a relationship uh, with a self-regulatory organization and building off of some of the principles and foundations that have worked quite well for the CFTC and our traditional markets to use in, in this uh, digital asset market. 
So I determined from that that you think that there's the, this working relationship between MFA and the CFTC is a, is a good one and it, it will provide additional customer protections. Absolutely. So, thank you very much. I appreciate Thank you. And with that, I yield back. Chair, now recognize Ms. Pazinski for uh, five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Ranking Member. Um, and thank you, uh, Chairman Benham, for being here today. I appreciate it. Um, the digital asset industry has framed these products as a tool to support increased financial inclusion. Um, though we have yet to see the effect come to fruition, we have observed in recent years that persons of color um, are, in fact, more likely to own these types of assets. Despite the industries touting these assets as paths toward um, a more inclusive financial system and the administration's proposal to study in more detail the effect of the digital asset industry on financial inclusion, there's no mention of this in the proposal. Um, could you speak to the utility of these assets to support financial inclusion? Um, should effects on financial inclusion of particular digital assets uh, be considered by the CFTC and the, C and the SEC in their registration and approval process? Congressman, thank you. Extremely important issue um, that I, I think we at the, at the CFTC level have thought about and we're doing everything we can through our customer education office to get as much information out, mostly through the, the internet, to users of digital assets. Unfortunately, that probably doesn't really hit as many people as we'd like. Um, but you're right to sort of articulate this um, friction between the, the opportunities that are highlighted in terms of providing underbanked individuals with more banking services and those in um, low-income communities with access to financial services versus really what are the use cases and what are we seeing in terms of the actual development of this technology and is it actually benefiting these communities. And I think in principle, um, given some of the challenges and, and issues around um, banking services to lower income communities, you can certainly see how being able to download an app on your phone um, to essentially swap cash for a stable coin or some other digital asset and instantly transfer that asset across the globe. And, and what I mean, when I say instant, I mean instant. So. We can think about a lot of um, individuals and families who have relatives overseas or in different parts of the world where this technology can actually facilitate um, opportunities that currently don't exist. All that said, it comes with risks, right? Because risks of information about these assets, volatility of these assets, um, and whether or not there's fraud occurring behind the institutions that are facilitating some of these tokens and some of these services. And that's where I think a disclosure regime is critical, customer education regime is critical, and ultimately, I think to your point, more examination by the agency in partnership with other agencies to see what are in fact the use cases. Are we seeing a development in this space that is helping and supporting financial inclusion, or is it in fact just a mirage, and are we not seeing it? And I think we, don't, we shouldn't dismiss it but we also shouldn't embrace it as a, a success story quite yet. So we can do things at the agency level and certainly would like your support to do more work so we can uh, really figure out what's behind all this and, and make the best of it. 
Yeah, thank you. And maybe I could take a little bit of a deeper dive on this topic. And I, I appreciate in your testimony you allude to this, we need to be doing more studying around this to really learn more of the facts, the hard facts around this and what the real results have been. Um, but could you explain a little bit more in detail about who these populations um, are and how any legislation in this space should address this dynamic to ensure that these populations are protected? Thanks, Congressman. Congresswoman. I, I would say that what we are seeing, and there are there are statistics. You pointed to some of them. There have been some studies, um, and it is low-income communities. Um, it's uh, racially diverse communities that, you know, are living in traditionally underbanked areas. And as I said, find these tools that are being facilitated by technology much easier to have access to. So much of the discussion that we're having today is about barriers to access and really a reduction in access to financial markets and banking services because it really is just a phone as opposed to having to go to a bank which may or may not exist in your community and then to provide a credit score and information and an address and you know history, financial history. All of these requirements that we have in our traditional system can act as barriers for individuals who don't have credit history to have a banking account. This eliminates many, if not all, of those barriers. So again, there's an optimistic way to view this, but I think with high caution, because with all of these opportunities comes risks, and we have to focus on these vulnerable communities, which tend to be the ones using these banking services or these technologies for these types of services. Thank you, I really appreciate that, and um, I will yield back my time. Thank you. Chair recognizes Mr. LaMalfa for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, thanks, Mr. Bannum, for being here. Um, now, currently, what we see under the Nat National Futures Association is um, uh, a set of requirements and, and regulations that they that that are already in play that they're that they're used to. But in the uh, in the discussion we're having here, that uh, the CFTC would become subject to uh, new requirements for all digital commodities, etc registered with CFTC. So um, this it would, it would risk disclosures to customers and conflict of interest requirements. So the, these would be new to the digital asset industry coming from CFTC as but they're not they're, they're current with the with futures. So how does it actually work these days? How well is it working with CFTC working with the Futures Association as a parallel towards what it would look like for digital commodities? Thanks, Congressman. I, you know, I think in principle, we want to replicate, and I think the draft bill does a good job in this, in replicating what we do now in our traditional markets. And to your point, you know, we work closely with the National Futures Association, which is our self-regulatory organization and a body that, as I've said before, acts as a more direct intersection with investors and with market participants, whether retail or institutional. And it's all of these attributes that you mentioned, whether it's disclosures about assets and risks of loss, conflicts of interests, AML or KYC, and it's anti-money laundering and know your customer. These are core components of markets and information that an investor should and needs to know and has been built over decades because of experience and often because of fraud and learning from fraudulent activities. So it's these core principles or it's this like this base layer that we know works, we know protects markets, creates resilient markets, and creates information flow to investors that allows them to make informed decisions. 
And what we want to do, in essence, is cut and paste that same layer into the digital asset market. Now, do you see any issues with it applying towards a completely different style of market? Is it? Uh, do you see it readily adaptable? Well, I, I, I feel like it's adaptable, but we will certainly have to take a look and make sure that we make appropriate tweaks and adjustments to reflect the unique nature of digital assets. And you think the relationship CFTC and NFA would, uh, would, would work well together to meld those? We, have, we, we work hand in glove. We have a great relationship from the top down, and I have no doubt that we would be able to accomplish this. Okay. You, you mentioned um, early on that... Um, uh, the importance of fair, open, and transparent markets. So, um, what is, what are your, how do you strive with CFTC to maintain these fair, open, and transparent derivatives markets at this time? So, mostly we we work through the registration regime we have to register the exchanges, to register the FCMs, the introducing brokers, the associated persons, the commodity pool operators, trading advisors. And through the registration scheme, we get information about key personnel, about governance, about compliance, about conflicts of interest. Uh, we surveil markets on a regular basis. We collect data. We work closely with the exchanges and also the self-regulatory organization to ensure that we're monitoring markets. We have a very strong and robust whistleblower program, which incentivizes individuals to come and tell us about bad actors. And ultimately, we use the civil enforcement authority we have through our enforcement division to create, of course, disincentives and hopefully an incentive to act within the bounds of the law. So comprehensively, the regime focuses on registration, surveillance, and enforcement, among other things, which focuses on a number of things around cyber, compliance, governance, as I mentioned. And I think in some, this has worked well for our markets and can be replicated in the digital asset market. If uh, CFTC had uh, full regulatory authority over the spot market for digital, um, how would that have um, helped with consumer protections when we go back to this F FTX issue for, you know, segregation of uh, assets that would have been important? Yeah, and, and Congressman, it's a, a great question because as I've articulated, you know, I look at what happened to Ledger X, which was an FTX entity or affiliate entity, 132 bankruptcy, bankrupt entities in the FTX entity. And John Ray, who's the CEO of, F of FTX now, has said that Ledger X is, has responsible management, valuable franchise, and was recently auctioned for $50 million. And that, I think, speaks louder than words. That's CFTC regulation. That's regulation working. That's what we need in order to prevent future crises. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll yield back, Mr. Chairman. Before I recognize Mr. Jackson, I want to just tell you, I'm showing Mann, Moore, uh, De La Cruz, Duarte, and Rouser in the order on the other side. Mr. Jackson, you're recognized for uh, five minutes. Thank you, Chairman uh, Thompson, in your absence. Thank you, Ranking Member Scott. Thank you, Chairman Binam. Um, in my earlier career, I ran on the Chicago Board of Trade. I ran on the New York Stock Exchange. I love financial institutions. Appreciate the work that you do and all what the CFTC has to do. This conversation repeats itself on, is this a commodity? Is this a security? How do we get it? I've got some basic questions. How are the deposits assured? Deposits insured? Assured, like when someone opens an account, yeah. how do we know the money's on account. 
Well, we have a number of regulations and requirements when we deal with mostly the FCMs, the Futures Commissions merchants, that they have relationships with either banking entities or they have relationships with custodians. And we do get daily reports about customer funds and customer balances to the CFTC to ensure that customer funds are where they're supposed to be, available and available to be withdrawn or used for trading activities. Second part to the question is, what transparency is there in bidders and bids? Sorry, I didn't hear the last part. What transparency is there in bidders and bids when the bid oh, is sure. in and yeah, yeah. ask? Again, sure. Uh, so we have an order book, which is really what you're articulating, and we have rules around transparent markets and, and settlement uh, and ensuring that bids are real and that they're going to be offered, they're going to be filled. And this is really goes to some of the disruptive trading practices that we prohibit, whether it's spoofing or wash sales, which we see often, and is really, uh, unfortunately, systemic in this unregulated digital asset market. But to your point, in the regulated market, when we have a central limit order book, we have bids and offers, and we, are, we have rules at the agency level, and then more importantly, at the exchange level, to ensure that every bid and every offer is valid and will be executed if it's on the order book. Because this is at the heart of what the problem is. They pride themselves on being opaque and it's somewhere out there in the ether that this happens, but then when there's a cash draw, people are trying to chase the funds and where are they? So how would you say the bids get processed? Because I have a concern on what happened with uh, some of the other beasts places as Coinbase tomorrow is Bitcoin and Coinbase is not coinable, there's nothing tangible and then poof, billions of dollars uh, seem to go away. How is this processed uh, for the bids so that way we can make sure people aren't setting up a fake account, yep. rising, raising a bid against themselves and washing a trade? Congressman, I mean, this you're raising the, really the, the most fundamental and important question, and I hope the reason we're here today is we can set up a side-by-side -side of regulated markets and unregulated markets, and all these concerns you raise about bids and offers and customer funds being secure and siloed from other customers and other brokers versus an unregulated market where you don't have those legal and regulatory requirements, and you have that incentive or that ability for some market participants to conduct themselves in a way that is uh, essentially contradictory to what we have traditionally done and know that works in U.S. financial markets. So, yes, a lot of the cases we've brought over the past eight years, 82, 84, I think I've mentioned multiple times, uh, are talking about wash sales and spoofing and, and commingling funds and conflicts of interest and all these things that go to the heart of your concerns. And my, my request to you and the committee is we have this space that's unregulated in the commodity digital uh, area that's a huge part of the larger market cap of the entire digital asset space. And absent are all of these core requirements that have made U.S. financial markets the best, most liquid, and deepest in the world. I know my time is limited, but ultimately, who has the custody of the asset? In the unregulated digital asset space? Correct. Well, you know, that would depend on the <laughs> entity and who is facilitating the trading. But, you know, I do know that 
some of the larger entities that facilitate trading and digital assets have custodians and, and you know, comply with state regulations around uh, custody. They, re they require or they comply with some requirements from Treasury around AML and KYC. So I don't want to suggest that the entire industry is void of regulation. There's quite a uh, uh, robust state, require, state uh, regulatory requirements and some um, OFAC requirements around AML and KYC, but really what we're focused on at the CFTC are markets and market regulation. And some have used existing structures to impose on their businesses, but ultimately, I, that doesn't give me comfort at night. There's too many bad actors and too many individuals and institutions who are willing to cut corners because it cuts costs and potentially gives them more resources and money, and that's when we have implosions, bankruptcies, and, and lost customer funds. I yield my time. Thank you very much for your service and your work. Chair, and I recognize the former chair of the committee, Mr. Lucas from Oklahoma. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Mr. Chairman, for agreeing to testify today. I always appreciate that. When we discuss a digital asset market structure framework, consumer protection is, of course, front and center. I'm confident you agree that any proposal should not undermine existing laws that provide for robust consumer protections. So to this end, could you discuss why it's important that any legislative framework be consistent with both our securities laws and the Commodity Exchange Act, that balancing act. Uh, thank you, Congressman Lucas. I, um, you know, we have an existing framework around securities and commodities markets that are time-tested and have proven to be um, quite efficient and effective in capital formation and risk management. And I think that the 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 clearest. Uh, reflection of that success is the fact that when I work with my colleagues globally, there is no question that U.S. financial markets are the strongest and most desirable in the world. And I do think in part it's because of the entrepreneurial spirit of, of, uh, of our fellow citizens, but really it's about the markets that provide clarity, certainty, and a legal framework behind the market so that market participants can be assured if there's a bad actor, that individual or institution will be held accountable. So I, I feel like as we think about and as you think about a new regulatory regime, we have a playbook that has worked and we have to think about it in the context of a new financial asset. This is not a new concept or a new exercise. We've done this in the past. You can largely say we did it with the swaps market, which you were very much a part of. We used the traditional futures and options market and the structures around those markets and essentially superimposed them on the swaps market with some tweaks, understanding that swaps are very unique and different than futures and options. I don't think it needs to be any different with this asset. As you know, the proposed market structure draft attached to this hearing is a result of a collaborative effort between Chairman Thompson and Financial Services Chairman McHenry to bring a much needed regulatory framework to digital assets. Just as the Ag Committee and Financial Services Committee must work together, so too must CFTC and SEC. There are notable cases of disagreement between the SEC and CFTC regarding which digital assets are considered securities and which are considered commodities. Could you discuss the current collaboration between the two agencies regarding the treatment of digital assets and their intermediaries, and while you're thinking about that, and how the legislation would help in this process? 
Thanks, Congressman. Um, you know, from from top to bottom, including uh, myself and, and Chair Gensler, we talk uh, frequently. We discuss these issues among other issues. Staff are constantly discussing these issues uh, and how we're seeing markets evolve and change and new participants. You know, our intersection with digital assets has gone back uh, for the better part of eight years now. We've had listed futures contracts on Bitcoin since 2017, on Ether since 2020. And as you point out, there, there's a bit of difference, which is fine. It's healthy on uh, what might constitute a security or commodity. But from my standpoint as chair of the CFTC, uh, when I think about these particular two assets, Bitcoin and Ether, I have to think about what is listed on an exchanges that I regulate. And as you know well, whether it's corn or soybeans or crude or natural gas, if there's a commodity listed on the CFTC, I care about the underlying physical market because any manipulation or fraud or disruptive trading that might occur in that cash market is most likely going to be reflected in the markets we oversee. So I've been very vocal in my belief that Bitcoin and ETH are commodities, and that's in part because they're listed on my exchanges, but in part because we did the legal analysis. We'll continue to do that if that's the case. Thus far, no other participant has come and tried to list a contract, a different token on our exchange. But as we think about this bill and what it provides and what it um, suggests or proposes in terms of more cooperation, I certainly welcome that. I know there's an advisory committee that's proposed. And these are the types of things that I've embraced as long as I've been at the commission since 2017, and I think can certainly benefit the agencies as we think through these issues. And I thank you for those answers. And I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Chair. And I recognize Ms. Hayes for five minutes. Thank you. And thank you, Chairman Benham, for your testimony today. I apologize for bouncing back and forth. I have another hearing that's going on at the same time. But happy to talk to you and to hear your opening remarks today. Following many years of uncertainty in the di digital asset space, it's promising to see draft legislation circulated to members of this committee. As trading in cryptocurrencies continues to grow, it is critical that Congress provide regulatory authority and clarity that protects consumers and fosters a safe, reliable marketplace. Last month, it was revealed that Bitcoin of America had failed to obtain proper licensing for Bitcoin ATM kiosks in my state of Connecticut. Several customers lost tens of thousands of dollars in a scam involving these kiosks. These scams have cost Connecticut residents millions of dollars, most of those people being senior citizens. Chairman Benham, how does the CFTC hold scammers and other bad actors accountable in the digital assets marketplace? Congresswoman, thank you for the question. Um, and it really raises a lot of the issues that we've discussed today. And, and the reason I think why, why we're here today is so much of this market remains unregulated. And particularly, you know, we've heard examples about kiosks and local vendors trying to sell Bitcoin to some of our most vulnerable citizens. And in a continually unregulated space, we're going to have to anticipate that these types of activities will continue. The enforcement or legal authority we currently have is very limited. Um, it really, it is a, um, a, 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 not a new authority, but it is reflective of the fact, as I said to Congressman Lucas, that if a contract or a commodity is listed on a CFTC exchange, the agency has a very clear invested interest in the health of the underlying commodity. Again, whether that's wheat, crude, natural gas, or palladium, 
but it also includes Bitcoin or Ether. So when citizens or individuals are offering Bitcoin to folks in Connecticut at kiosks, we have an interest in what manipulation or fraud might be occurring in these underlying cash markets. And we've used this limited enforcement authority to police cash markets. And in the end, I think we've been very successful bringing over 80 cases, $4 billion in penalties and restitution with essentially no authority. And when I say essentially no authority, it's because unfortunately we can't use traditional market regulatory tools like registration, surveillance, and oversight. We have to wait for individuals to come to us and report wrongdoing. And that's what concerns me the most, is we've been very successful in bringing enforcement authorities, but nearly every single one of those enforcement actions has been because someone has come to the CFTC. And I don't think anyone in this room agrees that's how to conduct an effective regulatory scheme or regime. So I'm hopeful that as this bill moves forward, we can get to a place to fill this gap around commodity tokens. And in that case or scenario, we can prevent or eliminate some of these uh, less than savory offerings to vulnerable citizens. That actually leads me to my next question, and Ranking Member Scott mentioned this in his opening. Does the lack of a funding mechanism in this discussion draft limit the CFTC's ability to enforce the law and assure accountability? My concern is that by having legislation that gives the impression that we are now beginning to regulate this with no funding mechanism for enforcement, I don't see how we would improve outcomes in any way. Thoughts yeah. on that? I, I, I could not agree with you more, and I, I fully support um, any effort to fill this gap, but it must be met with appropriate resources and funding. Uh, we simply will not have the personnel, the technology, both hardware and software, to fulfill the responsibility that this committee is contemplating. Um, we have a huge responsibility, as it is in our traditional markets. Uh, we've received generous funding increases over the past three or four fiscal years, which we appreciate, and has put us on a much leveler playing field than we were in the past. But I'm sh unsure and, and always wary of um, the budget sort of ebbing and flowing over time because our markets are growing, the number of uh, our constituency, our, our registrants is growing. And we're starting to see new products and new individuals because of technology want to be registered by the CFTC. So if we were to layer on on top of that new legislation with new authority, as you point out, um, unless there was funding backing and, and uh, supporting that authority, um, it would be a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Well, thank you. My time has expired, but I'd love to hear more from you on what you could do with funding to actually support this legislation. With that, I yield back. The chair now, 25 minutes later, recognizes Mr. Mann. Thank you. Uh, Chairman Benham, thank you for being here. Thank you for your testimony. This committee this morning, um, a few times have referenced Dodd-Frank and you know how that expanded CFTC's jurisdiction. Clearly, the discussion draft would do the same thing. Big picture, what do you think the CFTC learned from overcoming the challenges posed by the expansion of your authority under Dodd-Frank? Thanks, Congressman. I, you know, one, I would say that um, 
This was, I think, something this committee uh, faced and, and even the CFTC faced at the time when, when we have these inflection moments in financial markets, whether it's as a result of a crisis or technology, and we have to think about from a policy perspective what's our infrastructure, regulatory infrastructure, right, to market regulators and prudential regulators. Where do we put these new markets or these previously unregulated markets? The swaps market had a long history, uh, certainly in financial markets going back to the 80s. There were debates in the 90s about whether or not to regulate them. And ultimately, we came upon 2008, and, and the swaps market played a role in, in the financial crisis. And with that came Dodd-Frank. And I think, you know, legitimately, the question is, can the CFTC manage it? But ultimately, to answer your question more directly, not only did we manage it, we were very successful. We did it quickly, efficiently. The swaps market now is transparent. More transparent is orderly and continues to serve its purpose of risk management and, and, and price discovery for institutional investors. Uh, thank you for that. And from a regulator's point of view, knowing what we now know about the implementation of Dodd-Frank and as you look at the discussion draft um, that's before you today, are there any pitfalls that you would recommend that Congress avoid as this committee continues the conversation about expanding CFTC's authority? You know, Congressman, one, as I was just mentioning, funding is key, and I know that's always difficult in an environment where we're all tightening our belts here, but uh, as I said earlier, net-net, the CFTC has been a, a return on investment for U.S. taxpayers. We're returning $8 for every dollar invested in us over the past 10 fiscal years. I do think that in you know, if, if you're, and I'm, I'm not suggesting I am, I know a lot think about this market from an innovative and a technological and a, um, a perspective of um, what it could lead to from a uh, U.S. Um, uh, growth perspective and competition perspective. This is an investment in, in markets, and I think anything that comes with this legislative authority or legal authority should be paired with funding. And also, as I said before, using some of the same fundamental principles that have worked in the past. We don't need to rewrite the playbook. It's worked. We can do it again. We're going to have to adjust for unique technology, and we will make those adjustments, but the foundation should be similar, and, and it has worked. Great. And, and lastly, and I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to um, make sure I give you a chance to respond. Do you believe that granting the CFTC regulatory jurisdiction over the cash or spot digital commodity markets is just the natural extension of the enforcement authority um, you know, that, that you've been doing already? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been dealing in this market, as I said, for the better part of eight years. We have a level of um, experience and more notably expertise at yep. the staff level, which impresses me every day mostly driven through the enforcement division, but that naturally sort of permeates itself through our other policy divisions. We have listed futures contracts. We deal with entities that are more traditional or native digital asset firms. So I would say arguably more so than any other regulator in the globe, we have been one step ahead in terms of our intersection with the digital asset market. So when it comes to commodity digital assets, as you point out, I do think this is a natural next step, and as we continue to see this market at least stabilize and maintain its current price level, and you know it will change over time, this is actually a good time to be having this policy discussion so we can get ahead of a next move or a next growth in the market and not be caught uh, on our back feet here. Yep, well, I agree. Thank you. With that, I yield back. Chair, and I recognize Mr. Moore for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for spending being here today. I think you've done a fine job as far as answering questions. It's been very informative for me. Uh, uh, 
One of the questions I want to ask you is, it's our job, obviously, on this committee in financial services to make sure we kind of, you know, build a good structure for you to work with and within. It's sometimes difficult, however, for us to strike a balance between what is sufficient oversight and overregulation. And uh, so how do we strike a balance between being overly prescriptive and too broad while defining what an asset is? And how do we regulate this space to ensure consumer protections without hindering growth in the industry? Congressman, thanks for the question. Um, one of the hallmarks of CFTC regulation is, is the fact that it's driven by, uh, it's a principles-based regulatory scheme. Um, and, and that actually invites some criticism. But ultimately, I think if people took a deeper dive and understood the complexity of our rule set, they would appreciate that the principles-based regime, which is you know about 23 years old now, is uh, a base layer. I've used that term a couple times. But if you look at our statute, we have the law and then our regulations, and the statute's fairly thin, and it's these core principles. But the rules are quite thick, and the rules are where the rubber hits the road and where we get at the agency level a bit more prescriptive in terms of how we regulate brokers and exchanges and custodians, individuals who are offering services or individuals who are managing money. And I think that that regulatory system has worked quite well. It's allowed the market to innovate, it's allowed the market to grow, but it's empowered the CFTC over these better part of two decades to be flexible and to adapt to essentially an ever-changing marketplace. So as I, th I think as you approach this draft bill, using that foundation and that history, these core principles is a good place to start, where it creates essentially guardrails and a bit of um, a steer for us at the agency to say, this is what we expect you to do in terms of custody, in terms of registration, in terms of surveillance, cyber, conflicts of interest, governance, and then let us fill in the details. I think that serves both of the committee and the agency well, and ultimately allows us at the agency level to adapt to a marketplace that will likely evolve and change, potentially in the near term, but certainly in the long term. So you, um, the top three things, I know silos for assets, it sounds like is one of them. More funding, obviously, that's always a, an ask, I think, especially with the inflation and the things you have to tackle. But so what are the top two? I was going to ask for the top three. Is silos of assets, is that, is that one of the top things? If you just said, this is my wish list, this is my Christmas list, this is the structure, here are my top three asks, what would yeah. they be? So I, I think the, 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 fundamentally it's a legal authority to police the commodity digital token market, right? But with that, yes, customer segregation, which is essentially what you said, being able to silo customer money from house money. Really, it's, that's what it is. Um, conflicts of interest, we've seen this become a pervasive issue in this space, in the unregulated space, where there isn't a recognition uh, among many different entities about what potential conflicts might exist. And this is something that's core to our traditional markets, that if you're offering a service that's a broker-dealer function, but you're also a bank, but you're also a custodian, these things have to be very separate and there needs to be clear defined conflicts of interest rules so that there's no intermingling. Not too much vertical integration in the process. We want. And you know, it's a great point, Congressman, because we continue to see the market moving towards vertical integration, I think mostly because of technology. 
You know, traditionally, you'd have to call up your broker at the local level who would make a phone call to Chicago to run an exchange or to, to run an order, and you'd have to go to the floor broker. All of that is being compressed now because of technology, and it's just raising new questions about market structure, which I've shared with this committee in the past. And we continue to see at the CFTC new developments and new requests for more vertical integrated, vertically integrated structures. And I don't want to prejudge, say it's right, it's wrong, but it, what it does do, it deserves thought and, and, and a debate, I think, among lawmakers and regulators. So that's another thing we have to focus on is the conflicts, the governance, and I'll say the third thing is financial resources. This has proven to be uh, a key component to make sure these entities have financial resources to operate for some time in the period. In the you, future. you said earlier, based on it might take you 48 months to stand this thing up if you lacked funding. If you had the funding in place, how long before we could have a framework? I know we'd have to send something for you to work with, but what I, do you think I, as far as staffing and getting rolling? I, I'm going to use 2010 as a little bit of a barometer and knowing what this committee is Be contemplating quick, Chairman, draft please. bill. Uh, I would say 12 to 24 months. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mr. Chairman. All right, Chair, now I recognize Mr. Rose. Let's try to keep it to five minutes if we, if we can. I know we're running over. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman Scott. And thanks to Chairman Thompson and Ranking Member Scott for, uh, for uh, uh, calling this hearing. And thanks to our witness for being here with us today. Um, Chairman Benham, I, I am sure you saw the news this morning that the SEC has filed a lawsuit against Coinbase for listing unregistered securities. Similarly, earlier this week, yesterday, the SEC also filed a lawsuit against Binance. Uh, in each of the two filings, the SEC argues that Solano, Cardano, Matic, Filecoin, Sand, and AXS are all securities. Do you agree with Chair Gensler's assessment that these tokens should all be classified as securities? Uh, Congressman, I, I, I'm gonna, um, ask you that I'm not going to answer that question, and I do it out of due respect just because it's active litigation and I want to be mindful of, of ongoing litigation. Um, certainly there are components of interpretation about what constitutes a, co a commodity and security, and without getting into details about the specific tokens you raise, um, I'll just say this, this is the reason we're here. You know, there is confusion, um, there's uncertainty, and there's a number of active uh, cases that are going on, and hopefully uh, we can resolve some of these differences in the future. Thank you. And, and Chairman, do you think the timing of Chair Gensler filing these lawsuits is at all co coincidental? I don't know. Uh, you know, at knowing enforcement cases, um, we've, we deal with this all the time. You know, you're building a case, and when the time is right, because you're for whatever reason, you got to file the case, you got to file the case. So, so I, does the CFTC take into account political or media considerations in filing uh, lawsuits like the SEC seems to be doing? We do not. Thank you. That's good to hear. Chairman Benham, at our joint hearing with the Financial Services Committee, Ranking Member Waters stated that both uh, the SEC and the CFTC are aligned on the fact that the SEC is the regulator to determine if crypto assets are securities, and the SEC has made clear that nearly all crypto assets, uh, in their view, are securities. Chair Gensler has declined to say, however, whether Ethereum is a security or a commodity, and that uh, everything other, quote, everything other than Bitcoin, close quote, falls under securities laws. Uh, Chairman, is, is Ethereum a commodity or a security? Congressman, you know, I, I've said this uh, many times before, I believe Ether 
uh, is a commodity. Uh, we have it listed on our exchange, uh, multiple exchanges, CFTC exchanges for a number of years. Um, there are certainly situations, um, I, I think, as I've said before, the situation that led us to this point, and Ether was listed as a futures contract in 2020, there was robust legal analysis that occurred at the time. And I was not chair, I was a commissioner then, but I know what the process is. I know the deliberation and the cooperation between the two agencies. And given the legal precedent and the law that we follow currently and how we are driven by certain characteristics around what is a security and a commodity, I have faith and confidence that the decision back in 2020 was correct and we continued to have Ether futures contracts listed on our exchange without any question. Thank you. Uh, Chairman, do you believe requiring registered entities to disclose greenhouse gas emissions may fall under CFTC statutory authority under the Commodity Exchange Act? No. Thank you. Good answer. Uh, Chairman Benham, at the SEC, Chair Gensler has insisted that digital assets' legal status depends on individual facts and circumstances and that projects should come in and talk to the SEC to identify a path towards compliance. Only about four crypto projects have been able to come in, uh, come into compliance as defined by the SEC. Chairman Benham, is, is there a path towards compliance at the CFTC for registration, specifically for exchanges, and what does that look like? Well, there is a path for exchanges as it relates to derivatives, so futures, options, and swaps. Um, and we we historically and continue to do our best to facilitate uh, either incumbent uh, uh, exchanges from listing uh, digital asset derivatives or even newer exchanges from registering an exchange and, and being able to list these contracts. Um, I. I I stand by what we've done historically in the past, and I think we've created a system where we engage, we're transparent, and to the extent that we can, we facilitate a path forward for uh, registrants. Gentlemen, Stein, thank you, Chairman. Chair, I, and I recognize Ms. Crockett for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you, witnesses, for your time. First, I just want to express my concern for the process that produced the discussion draft of this cryptocurrency regulation bill. For months last year, House Democrats held hearings to build understanding and establish a consensus around the regulatory gaps with this emerging technology. Then House Republicans continued this work in a bipartisan fashion, capping off months of work with a fact-finding subcommittee hearing on the issue. So far, so good. Unfortunately, now we are holding a full hearing to discuss highly a highly technical bill almost half the committee saw for the first time at the end of last week. This is not how the Ag Committee is supposed to work. I sincerely hope that this committee can return to its bipartisan traditions and that we engage in meaningful hearings that address the concerns many of us have. It is essential that a bill addressing these regulatory gaps is passed as Congress. Just today, the SEC sued Binance, demonstrating the urgent need for this regulation. In addition, blockchain technology in general and its fintech applications specifically hold so much promise that we are missing out on. There is a bipartisan consensus that government regulation is what is needed to create jobs, 
build wealth, and protect our constituents. Sadly enough, one hand doesn't seem to know what the other is doing. I'm referring to the fact that while everybody in here agrees on the need for this regulation, and we have heard from the testimony that this requires more funding, that is precisely the opposite of what our colleagues on the Approps Committee did. As we are putting more on their plate, the Appropriations Committee has cut their budget by almost $9 billion down to the lowest level since FY 2006. To be clear, we are asking the CFTC to take on a whole new regulatory process while simultaneously cutting their budget by 33%. So my first question is, what the impact would be if the current budget were passed and the agency was asked to take on these tasks with equal or lesser funding, particularly the impacts on consumers and the industry? Thanks, Congresswoman. Uh, you know, focusing just even on our traditional markets, if our funding levels were to drop from 365 million to 345 million, given increased costs, given increased <laughs> level of, uh, I would say, participation from new registrants and new entrants into our markets, uh, it would be extremely difficult and, a, a, quite frankly, and I've used this word before, devastating to the agency, um, given all that we're all facing in terms of, as I said, increased costs, we'd probably have to furlough quite a number of our staff. We have about um, 680 full-time equivalents right now, and if we were to drop down about 20 million, that would be uh, a, a huge challenge. And I, I say this often, I said it earlier, um, and I will repeat this for the committee, the CFTC is a good return on investment for the U.S. taxpayer, we return nearly eight dollars for every dollar invested in us over the ten, the past ten fiscal years, and this is through enforcement. This is through protecting customers. This is through information to um, financial illiterate individuals who are who are being, you know, taken advantage of. So I would hope that we can at least hit our full funding and get our request so that we can continue to do our job, especially if this new authority is provided to us. Thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Benham, you mentioned in your testimony, and it was also brought up in the subcommittee, the potential of creating an independent funding source for administering um, these regulations. Could you expound upon how such a model could fit into this bill? Thanks, Congresswoman. You know, we are the only financial regulator to not have um, a user be a user fee based system. So mixed up those letters there. Um, <laughs> And it has proven to be uh, a huge challenge for the agency, um, quite frankly, for quite some time, a number of decades. And I think since 2010, after the financial crisis, as our responsibilities significantly increased, uh, we faced quite a bit of strain from a budget perspective because of flat funding over, over a number of years. So I think with respect to this new authority, it would be very important for for this committee and the Congress to consider a user fee-based system where it would essentially be a fee-for-services system. So those who are registered with us would have to pay a proportional fee over the course of a year to fund the services that we provide. Thank you so much. And with that, I'll yield. Thank you. Uh, Chair, and I recognize Mr. Finkstra for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman Scott and Ranking Member Scott. And I want to thank uh, Mr. Bainham for being here today. Thank you. Uh, I, I find this uh, conversation so fascinating. Um, I was a professor teaching business courses at a university uh, several years ago. What happened? She fell.
We're going to pause. We're going to recess for until the call of the chair.
Uh, we're going to just heads up. We'll be back in order in about 60 seconds. And uh, we're going to reset Mr. Finstra's clock to five minutes. Whenever you're ready, we'll. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm, I'm on. Chair, and I recognize Mr. Fincher for five minutes. Oh, thank you again, uh, Chairman Scott, Ranking Member Scott, and obviously uh, thanks to our, uh, our uh, th thank you very much for, for being here, uh, Mr. Uh, Beanham. I uh, greatly appreciate it, your testimony. As I was noting, um, I taught at a university uh, teaching business classes, and what I'd do in the morning is I'd talk about the, the events of the day. And at one point, uh, I know we were talking about cryptocurrency, and it was valued at 2.5 trillion or 3 trillion. Um, obviously, the value today is probably as of March, I think it was 1.1 trillion. And I've always thought back of all these kids. These kids were so fascinated and so intrigued by crypto cryptocurrency. I know a lot of them were using or buying it. Uh, and, and there's just something that I, I worry about how that all went. Um, in 2009, obviously, when crypto started, uh, through today, we have over 23,000 different cryptocurrencies. Imagine that, all right? Uh, just in that amount of time to have 23,000 different cryptocurrencies. And, and, and since then, you know, as I think through my, my all these kids have moved on, uh, at the same time, some of these largest crypto exchanges uh, that trade these currencies have collapsed and have been sued by various uh, security for social have been sued by, uh, for security violations. Um, obviously, uh, CFTC and SEC has filed active lawsuits, but I really don't want to get into that. But instead, I want to talk about what has happened and the uncertainty of these exchanges in acting as the middleman for these commodities. So I look at this discussion draft that we have, and my question would be, uh, what would what would the oversight impact be in this draft legislation if this would become law? How would this affect the intermediaries and exchanges as we move forward? And, and I, I look at you know, these students that, that were so excited that were probably blinded by the hope of making money and, and, and how this all plays out. So if you could 
just uh, answer that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Sure, thanks, Congressman. Congressman, it's um, you know we've had some experience in the the retail foreign exchange market um, over the past 15 years, where and this was a, a law that this committee and Congress passed in 2008 to provide authority for the CFTC to regulate retail forex, which you know you wouldn't normally think of. But my point being is, prior to that legislation, you had a market that was totally opaque just a lot of fraud, a lot of manipulation, and a lot of retail investors losing money. This is like late night commercial yes, about exactly right. Forex, right? <laughs> and I, I don't wanna say we're in exactly same position, but it's similar. And there was a lot of skepticism back then about why would you even wanna regulate it? Why would you validate this like retail? Retail people should not be buying and selling Forex, right? That's an institutional market. But ultimately, as a re market regulator, you have to think about what's out there and what people, like your students, or others are investing in and how they're allocating their money. And ultimately, I think it's incumbent on all of us to think about that just stark reality and not about whether we believe in it or we don't believe in it or what the future might hold or can hold. But the fact of the matter is technology has enabled commodity assets to be traded on, their, on phones and other easy sort of portals. And we have a responsibility to provide disclosures and transparency to markets. So you ask what's gonna happen? We're gonna re register and regulate brokers. We're gonna register and regulate asset managers. We're gonna regulate and register exchanges. All the things that we do that are core components in our traditional markets. And there will be a cost associated with yeah, that, well. there's no doubt. But with that cost comes transparency, fairness, and hopefully, and I believe history has proven this, less abuse, fraud, and manipulation. No, I appreciate that, and, and that's very important. I, I mean, I, when I was a professor, I could talk about a stock and the cost and, 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 and you know, what it looked like. I could do that with commodities. <laughs> they always asked me, how do you evaluate a cryptocurrency? Uh, uh, that was always very baffling to me. But where, where do you see, as this is implemented, and you just noted this, but five to, if you could picture out five to 10 years from now, what, what do you see this arena look like? Well, you know, I don't want to uh, get in the prediction game here, but I, as I said before and I said earlier, I feel like I have um, the responsibility right now as chair of the CFTC to inform everyone on this committee about what I see and what the agency sees on a regular basis and how that intersects with existing law and what authorities we have now and where I feel like we could use new authorities. So as I've said this earlier, I believe US markets, financial markets, are the strongest, deepest, and most sought after in the world because of our regulatory structure and the certainty and the legal authority, the enforcement authority behind those regulatory structures. Gentlemen, it's not is... unforeseen to think that with this market relatively stable over the past few months, particularly after 2022, if you had a regulatory structure over the markets, hopefully we would eliminate the fraud, the manipulation, and more of a stabilization in the markets in the future. Thank you. Gentlemen, time I yield expired. Back. Thank you. Um, Chair now recognizes uh, Ms. De La Cruz for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Chairman, and uh, thank you, Chairman Benham, for joining us today. Um, I have some, uh, you know, there are some of the opinion that all digital assets are securities and that they should be regulated solely by the SEC and therefore there is no need for the CFTC to play a role in 
overseeing digital asset markets. Do you agree with that statement? I don't. And uh, notwithstanding any arguments that all digital assets are securities, almost everyone seems to agree that Bitcoin is not a security, but instead a commodity. Uh, because Bitcoin is a commodity and entitles uh uh, which offer trading in Bitcoin are not subject to the SEC's regulation of securities. Additionally, the SEC-regulated entities are not permitted to offer trading in Bitcoin because it is not a security. Despite that, Bitcoin trading accounts for around 70% of digital asset trading activity. If we don't legislate, uh, would it be sufficient or even possible for regulators like the S, the CFTC, and SEC to simply use its, its existing authorities to cover the gap? Congresswoman, no. I mean, the fact of the matter is this gap is so significant, as you point out on a sort of statistical basis, how Bitcoin relates to the larger market capitalization of the digital asset market. Um, and we would use, as I've said earlier, the tools that we have uh, from an enforcement perspective at the CFTC, but these tools are so limited. They're powerful, but limited, and I know that sounds like a little bit of a contradictory statement, but the fact of the matter is we have to wait for individuals to come to us and to raise alarm bells or flags about wrongdoing or violations of the law. And I don't think any of us believe that that's how a sound, effective, impactful regulatory scheme should, should function. I think we're just leaving a lot out on the table when it comes to fraud and manipulation and legal authority to police commodity tokens, as you point out, is the right decision to ensure safety and soundness in these markets and protecting customers. So that being said, just a moment ago we talked, I asked you the question about um, if there was no need for the CFTC to play an oversight role. And, and you say you did not agree with that, with that comment. So let me ask you, in your opinion, where, at what point do you see our digital assets moving from a commodity to a security or vice versa? Well, I, I don't want to get too down in the weeds on the technical side of things. I, I'm not, and I will be the first to tell you, I'm not a technologist. And I, I don't uh, fully embrace or understand um, some of the, the processes that might take place. But you could imagine just sort of mixing it with the legal frameworks we understand and how you define a security or a commodity that you could have a promoter or a group of individuals offering tokens in exchange for cash, trying to build or uh, establish some protocol or a, a ledger or some sort of uh, blockchain. And then at some point, you would see the, the value of those tokens increase. Um, that is and sort of resembles a security. Under your hypothetical, it's not unforeseen, and we've seen this happen, where there would be a sort of break in the, the linkage between that issuer, the, the individual or institution that's collecting the cash and issuing the tokens, and when you had that break, there wouldn't be that centralized body conducting business or operations that would impact the value of the token. And it's really at that point where you have that decentralization over some period of time and that 
interaction between a purchaser of a token and a trading market or an exchange as opposed to an issuer that the, the asset would most likely become or be a commodity and not a security. And this is in many respects very unique to this digital asset space. But as I said earlier, it, I, what I am encouraged by in terms of the draft bill is focusing on centralization and decentralization because that's really the core arguments around what is a security and what's a commodity. And then the other component is where is the investor getting the token from? Is it a direct issuance by or uh, uh, um, uh, an issuance by an issuer of the token or is it in fact the, the investor is going to an exchange, a third party to purchase the token? But details should certainly be worked out. Look forward to working with you. Um, imperfect system, but one that sort of uses the foundation of what a security is. Thank you. I yield back. I now recognize the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Miller, uh, to be recognized for five minutes. Thank you. And thank you for holding this hearing as we seek to develop a digital asset market structure framework to ensure the next generation of financial innovation develops in the United States. Any functional legislative strategy should provide digital asset firms with regulatory certainty and prevent the regulatory turbulence created by jurisdictional uncertainty. In the absence of the United States leadership, other countries are rushing to build frameworks and become developmental hubs for the digital asset ecosystem. Currently, the largest trading platform issuers are based outside the United States. Many entrepreneurs are advocating for digital asset companies to move offshore. The ability of other countries to successfully build digital asset frameworks and technology into their market infrastructure further demonstrates the need for action. Currently, there is no comprehensive federal regulatory regime for the spot trading of commodities. I appreciate the efforts of this committee working with the House Committee on Financial Services to address these shortcomings by establishing a functional framework that works for both market participants and consumers. This guidepost is meant to provide digital asset firms with regulatory certainty and fill the gap that exists between the authorities of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the Securities Exchange Commission. Chairman, please share how the current lack of regulatory certainty for digital assets may hinder innovation and not provide adequate consumer protection. Thanks, Congressman. I, I, you know, I think I, I'd certainly focus on the commodity side of things, but understanding that without further um, guidance, I think, from Congress and a sense of where the two market regulators and the financial regulators should go, how we're going to define these assets as they relate to existing law. And in many respects, as I said earlier uh, to, to the Congresswoman, we, we use decades-old precedent to decide how these financial assets should be bucketed uh, and defined. But there are enough unique characteristics that I think we have to think about things differently. And uh, certainly, we can make those decisions. We try to, uh, but given the way technology is advancing and markets are evolving, um, it's not necessarily the best um, idea to lean on a decades-old legal decision about what's a security and then de facto what is a commodity if it's not a security. So I think the draft bill takes steps, as I said earlier, focusing on some key elements around decentralization and where a customer or an investor gets the asset from. And then further, we are, you know, and, and I don't want to dismiss the legal precedent that we've leaned on over many years because fundamentally what we're trying to accomplish is on the security side, bridging information gaps between someone who promotes and issues a security. And on the commodity side, making sure that we're establishing 
and operating fair, orderly markets. And I use, as you know, in Ohio, many of the agricultural analogies. Um, I'm not sure what type of information you would share with an investor in a corn or a soybean contract because you don't have central entities controlling the price of corn or soybeans, right? Global markets, decentralized, numerous factors impacting the price. This is very distinguishable from a centralized security where you have a group of individuals with financial statements, headquarters, et cetera, et cetera, that impact the price of the security. So we lean on those fundamentals. I think we can get this right. I don't disagree. In your view, how would the, fu how would the functional framework as outlined in today's discussion draft uh, provide digital asset firms with regulatory certainty and fill the gap that exists between the authorities of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission? Uh, Congressman, thanks for the question. I think for us, fundamentally giving us authority to fill this gap is the primary, uh, my primary concern, and this is because we want to root out this fraud and manipulation that's occurring. The draft does a very good job in essentially replicating some of the core fundamental um, market uh, requirements around registration and surveillance, cybersecurity, conflicts of interest, governance, many of these things that you've heard me say today. If we can replicate those requirements, I think we can create a very transparent and orderly digital asset market. We'll certainly have to make some adjustments to reflect the unique nature of the, the asset itself. On the definitional side, I do think the bill does a good job, certainly uh, will require a bit more uh, um, look, at sort of um, technical assistance and examination around how do we decide what is a security, what is a commodity, and if in fact there is a transition between a security and a commodity, what that transition looks like, who makes those decisions, and what are the core characteristics of that transition to say, you know what, now this asset is a commodity as opposed to what it was originally in a security. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you. Thank you. I now recognize the gentleman from Iowa, uh, Congressman Zach Nunn, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, also from Iowa. Privileged to get to sit with you on this. Uh, and Chairman Benham, thank you so much for joining us. I know testifying in Congress, never the highlight of everybody's week, but uh, we are learning a lot from you on this front. So very much appreciate it. I uh, want to begin that, you know, I get to serve in two roles, both here on the Ag Committee with Digital Assets as well as on the Financial Services Committee, looking at what uh, the SEC is doing in this space as well. Um, you know, from a national security perspective that I grew up in, Europe, the United Kingdom, Singapore have already laid out frameworks for dig uh, digital asset corporations and how to operate proficiently within their areas of jurisdiction, something we're still trying to get our arms wrapped around here in the United States. In fact, MICA, the European version, uh, VC investment in European crypto projects are up 10% or tenfold in one year. To my Iowans back home, these are American jobs, American corporations, American innovation they are fleeing offshore because, in my opinion, a rogue SEC chair is trying to expand his overreach, arguably, for maybe a specific role in the SEC ahead of this legislative body. And I find that concerning. To make this point crystal clear, I met with a uh, founder earlier this week who is contemplating moving his workforce to Europe because the U.S. is too unpredictable as a result of what Chair Ginzer has done. Additionally, we saw just in the last quarter alone nearly 25% of capital in this market flow outside the United States. This should be concerning for every American, and it clearly means that there is a lack of understanding what the regulatory environment looks like today and could look like in the weeks ahead. So as we move forward, I'd like to just begin with you know, some of the challenges that we've seen here. Um, 
We highlight that you know uh, there's a lack of clarity in this area, but ultimately we should be able to pinpoint pretty directly. I've asked two of your colleagues this, and um, I've gotten different answers. So I'd like to begin with kind of the easy question here at the beginning, uh, Mr. Chairman. Ethereum, commodity or security? Congressman, I, I've, I've said repeatedly, I, I believe Ether is a commodity. Very good. And what's the analysis that you've had in leading you to that decision? Well, we look at some of the core fundamentals that have driven this analysis over many decades, as I've said, including uh, the Howey test, and it's, it's the, the characteristics that are driven mainly by decentralization and the fact that you don't have a single individual or a group of individuals um, taking action that dictates the value of the underlying asset, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is where I'm gonna probably get into an area that I'm not necessarily an expert, but you have a large group of individuals who are on uh, or who are validating um, the network itself. And when you have that dispersion among individuals, you don't have those traditional, what is at, at least how we define a security, central group of individuals. would very much that. agree with you on that, Mr. Chairman. You, in fact, you've mentioned some other ones today, Litecoin, I think among them Stablecoin as a highlight of this, as digital asset commodities. My concern here is that by having this um, non-defined regulatory space, the SEC is, in effect, picking winners and losers in this attempt to innovate in this space. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, Congressman, the, the issues are difficult, and, and I, you could say that even with any of these tokens, and given the way the market's evolving, you could package them and utilize them and offer them in many different ways. So I would offer that everybody in this space ultimately ends up being a loser, at least in the U.S. market, because there is no regulatory regime, and they're forced to find other places where there's clear definition for them to be winners in this space. So I want to change to some of the legislation that we're working on here. Do you believe it's possible for a digital asset to start as a security initially, and then transition to a commodity? I do. All right, very good. Do you believe that Congress should be the driving force in acting clarity in this space, or the SEC? It, given the nature of the markets that are evolving and changing and growing, I think this Congress should have a hand in sort of dictating the future of policy in, in this country. I would agree. Do you believe it's necessary to save digital asset innovation and let it prosper here at home instead of going overseas? Of course. Absolutely. And do you believe that regulatory coordination between your agency, both in the CFTC and the SEC, is possible? Of course. Do you have a good history of doing this? We have a long history of working closely with the SEC, and I have no doubt we'll continue to do that. And I think working together on this, you guys have proven a pathway to be successful. What I do not want to see is one agency taking the lead for its own intent before the actual legislation comes to the floor. So with that, Mr. Chair, I really appreciate the opportunity today. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I yield my time. I now recognize the gentlewoman from Florida, Kat Kamek, for five minutes. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you to our witness for being here today. Um, yeah, we'll have to do this head game real fast. Zach, duck. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll jump right into it and actually would like to do a follow-up talking about the jurisdiction issues that we have um, between the SEC and um, CFTC. So it, in your testimony, you had discussed the importance of not undermining existing laws, most notably the securities law and the jurisdiction of the SEC. 
I, I think you've already outlined why you think this is important, but the discussion draft does not amend the definition of securities, but it does set up a process to help market participants work with the SEC to determine when an asset is no longer part of an investment contract. Does that modification disrupt the SEC's authority to protect customers and address information gaps between digital asset issuers and investors? Congresswoman, thanks for the question. And just a little bit of context before I answer the question more directly, um, and I said this earlier, um, we're not here because we're trying to, you know, it, this is not a zero-sum game. And what I mean by that is if this committee and the Congress were to provide the CFTC with more authority over the cash commodity markets, we're not pulling that authority from another agency, the SEC or otherwise. It doesn't exist. There's a vacuum. No one regulates cash commodity markets. And I think this is the most important thing this committee should think about and has thought about as it drafts or continues to work on this draft bill. As it relates to the SEC, I was very intentional, obviously, in including that statement or that, that sentence in the statement. We have a very robust, very effective, very impactful set of laws around markets in the United States, both on the commodity side and on the security side. And what I would not want to see is this bill or any bill addressing digital assets undermine existing law. And I'm not suggesting the bill does. Um, and to now turn to a more direct answer to your question uh, is I, I do think, you know, we haven't had too much time with the bill, but more importantly, I would just encourage you and your colleagues to work closely with the SEC to ensure that the bill does not undermine the securities laws. And I know that is not your intention, but with legislation comes unintended consequences, and I think we should always be very mindful of what we do, what we're intending, and what the outcomes are. Thank you. Um, and I know that FTX has been touched on quite a bit here today, um, but I wanted to make sure that um, I just did a quick follow-up on that. Uh, if there's no federal oversight of digital commodity interme intermediaries and exchanges, if Congress doesn't act, is the CFTC's anti-fraud and anti-manipulation authority sufficient currently to prevent an FTX-like debacle, like what we saw in the U.S. cash or spot digital commodity markets? Short answer, Congresswoman, is, the, is no. And I, I've said this many times, but it might not happen next month, it might not happen next year, but if we continue to, to keep status quo, um, these markets will rise and fall in value, and uh, these implosions, bankruptcies will uh, occur again. It's an interesting perspective, me being someone who is very much against uh, the heavy hand of government bureaucrats and, and regulators. You know, it tends to have one extreme to the other. So there's been criticisms that uh, CFTC is a bit of a light touch, right? How do you strike that balance? Well, uh, you know, I obviously don't uh, agree with that statement at all, and, and my thought is folks who want to... You could take it as a compliment. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, but I would say that I've, I've thought about this, and this is just a product of individuals who, you know, they're pundits, they want to be critics, this is what they do, uh, but also just not willing to take time and to really examine... Uh, the agency and the impact that we have on financial markets. And I'll briefly give you two examples, one on enforcement. I've said this multiple times. Last fiscal year, 2022, uh, 300, $320 million budget, $2.5 billion in penalties and restitution. Eight times return, uh, roughly. Um, 
over the past 10 years, consistent factor, eight times return on our appropriated dollar. So every dollar you appropriate, we're returning $8 to the general treasury. Second thing I will say, and I mentioned this earlier, we are a principles-based regulator. So I think it's easy for critics, which there are always critics, to say, oh, they're a, quote, light-touch regulator because they're a principles-based regulator. That couldn't be farther from the truth. And as I said earlier, we, in fact, through the law, the Commodity Exchange Act, are a principles-based regulator. But if you look at our statute, and to your point earlier, uh, the rules that we draft, driven from the law, are quite extensive, are more prescriptive, and are very specific to protecting customers and protecting markets. So we are the farthest thing from a light-touch regulator, and I think if you asked any of our registrants what they would say, I think they would agree with that. Well, and I had a couple follow-ups to that administrative and uh, enforcement actions, but I'll submit those for the record. My time has expired, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you. At this time, we have completed all our questions for our first panel witness, Chairman Baham. Uh, the committee thanks you for your testimony today. Thank you for spending the time with us. Uh, the witness is excused. Uh, the committee will take a brief recess to allow Chairman Baham to depart and allow our second panel of witnesses to take their seats. The committee stands in recess at this point, subject to the call of the chair.
legal officer of Coinbase. Our third witness today is Dan Gallagher, who is the chief legal com compliance and corporate affairs officer for Robinhood Markets Incorporated. He's also a former commissioner of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Our fourth witness today will be Mr. Dan Berkovitz, sorry, I abuse that name there, who is a former commissioner of the Commodities Future Trading Commission. Our fifth and final witness today is Walt Lucan, who is the president and chief executive officer of Futures Industry Association. He is also the, the former acting chairman of the Commodities Future Trading Commission. I thank you all for joining us today. We will now proceed to our testimony. You each will have five minutes. The timer in front of you will count down to zero, at which point your time has expired. Mr. Uh, John Carlo, please begin when you are ready. You have five minutes. I thank you, Chairman and Ranking Member and Committee members. It's an honor to speak to this great committee once again. I'm Chris John Carlo, former chairman of the CFTC. I appear today in my individual role and not on behalf of any entity. Five years ago, I sat on the other side of the Capitol and testified to the Senate Banking Committee. The topic was a rather obscure one at the time, cryptocurrency. Well, that hearing turned out to be one of the more noticed congressional hearings to, to, in certain quarters of the Twitter sphere. Because in the prior year, the price of Bitcoin had risen almost 20 times. Our U.S. derivatives exchanges knew there was commercial demand for Bitcoin price hedging, and they wanted to launch exchange trading of Bitcoin futures. In response, my administration at the CFTC drew on existing authority and innovated a unique process of heightened review for crypto derivatives to facilitate rather than hamper their market debut. In the five years since, the U.S. crypto derivative markets and the CFTC's oversight of them have been quite successful. Today, Bitcoin continues to grow in transactional volume, adoption, network strength, and code execution, despite increasing politicization and hostility. Now, some may recall that the original decision to greenlight Bitcoin futures sparked controversy. There were calls to stop their launch. Yet my team knew that blocking these new futures products would not stop the rise of Bitcoin or other virtual currencies. It would only deprive Americans of smart regulation. Doing nothing would have been irresponsible. At that February 2018 Senate hearing, I spoke about a new generation's interest in crypto. I explained that the energy and momentum behind digital assets was not just driven by technological efficiencies and benefits, there was something else going on, something generational and cultural and social and human. And I told the Senate that we owe it to this new generation to respect their enthusiasm about digital assets with a thoughtful and balanced response, not a dismissive one. And here we are today, five years later, still seeking that thoughtful and balanced response from Congress. Americans, especially innovators, investors, and younger Americans await congressional action to create a sound legal framework for this innovation. And so I commend this committee and this Congress for undertaking this unique joint effort at lawmaking. The bill before us addresses an important public interest in closing, closing gaps in CFTC oversight. And Chairman Benham is right that there are elements of cash markets for digital commodities suitable for direct CFTC oversight. Weeks before that 2018 Senate testimony, 
I went to Switzerland and spoke to the Financial Stability Board, the chief standard-setting body of the global financial system. The assembled global regulators were skeptical of the CFTC's decision to greenlight Bitcoin futures. I said to them, crypto's not going away. Digital assets and other network technology is like a roaring wind. You can take shelter from it, get blown away by it, or hitch a sail and ride it. And I added that we Americans prefer to ride the wind. Well, in the five years since, many of the countries represented in that Swiss conference room are now trying to hitch their sails to crypto innovation. They're hoping to benefit from America's early lead. And yet, we know the American dream was created by innovators riding winds of innovation. And as it did three decades ago, Congress needs to support innovation today. Thank you for the thoughtful legislation before us. Thank you for your leadership, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Giancarlo, for your testimony. Uh, Mr. Gray Wall, please begin when you are ready, and you have five minutes. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon. I want to thank Chairman Thompson, Ranking Member Scott, and members of the committee for inviting me to testify about the future of digital assets and the need for a clear rule book in the United States. My name is Paul Graywall, and I am the Chief Legal Officer at Coinbase. Coinbase was founded in 2012 with the goal to be the world's most trusted, secure, and compliant on-ramp to the crypto economy. We went public in 2021 and are currently the largest crypto platform in the United States. Our mission is to increase economic freedom in the world, and our products and services do just that. We enable millions of consumers, institutions, and developers around the world to buy, sell, and use crypto in a meaningful way. Since our founding over a decade ago, we have embraced regulation. We take seriously our obligations to our customers, our investors, and our regulators, and we are proud of the robust consumer protection controls, prudent risk management, and industry-leading security practices implemented over the years. I am pleased to speak with you today about our views on regulation and legislation. But before I proceed with my scheduled remarks, I would like to address the litigation filed this morning by the Securities and Exchange Commission and mentioned earlier. It's disappointing, but not surprising, that the SEC has decided to bring legal action against Coinbase today, the day of our testimony before this committee's critical hearing on creating a workable framework for digital asset regulation. The SEC's reliance on an enforcement-only approach in the absence of clear rules for the digital asset industry is hurting America's economic competitiveness and the companies most committed to compliance. The solution is legislation that allows fair rules for the road to be developed transparently and applied equally, not litigation. Despite today's complaint, we will continue to operate our business as usual. For today, there are three main points I would like to highlight. First, the United States is falling behind. Distributed ledger and digital asset technology is as the White House has stated, critical and foundational to the future of the United States. Yet, the United States is pushing the technology and the innovators overseas due to a lack of regulatory clarity. The rest of the world is taking advantage of our absence. The EU, UK, Australia, Singapore, and Hong Kong, just to name a few, are writing rules that are making room for innovation while also protecting consumers. We shouldn't want any country to leapfrog the United States in a foundational area of technology. It's not just bad for our economic future, but bad for our national security. Second, 
Crypto is solving real-world problems, and we need a clear path forward to protect responsible innovation. Digital assets are creating new ways to store and transfer value. They're making existing systems, like the financial system, better. Today's crypto use cases range from cheaper, faster, and more reliable international payments to digital IDs to healthcare records on the blockchain. But digital assets don't fit into any single existing regulatory box. Some are commodities, some are securities, and some simply don't map onto existing categories. With more than 20% of Americans owning and using crypto, we need a regulatory framework that will protect American consumers and enable innovation. Third, the digital asset market structure discussion draft is a strong step forward in providing overdue regulatory clarity. Congress alone has the power to draw clear, comprehensive lines for digital assets, specifically when digital assets are regulated as commodities or securities, or when the regulatory structure simply makes no sense. We are excited about the discussion draft because it builds on existing and workable regulatory precedent, while also recognizing the unique properties and opportunities of digital assets. The discussion draft also thoughtfully draws from many of the key findings of President Biden's executive order and the agency reports that came out of the EO. Most notably, that we need a federal regulator for the spot trading of crypto commodities. Specific to the CFTC and the jurisdiction of this committee, the bill would create a regulatory framework that is rooted in the existing CFTC structures for commodity markets and market participants. The bill recognizes that centralized intermediaries, like Coinbase, should be regulated, and it creates transparency through mandatory registration, disclosure requirements, and inspection and examination authority. Importantly, this is a fit-for-purpose registration regime that doesn't attempt to shoehorn market participants into pre-existing but ill-suited requirements that are not mapped to actual risks and consumer needs. And critically, the bill provides a framework for, the, for those registration pathways to work in practice, not just in theory. The bill also allows for side-by-side -side trading and creates clear consumer protections like conflicts of interest disclosures and limitations, requirements to segregate client funds, and bankruptcy priority. With respect to the SEC, it provides necessary adaptations to existing rules like Regulation A, Rule 144, and the regulations related to alternative trading systems in order to create a regime for all crypto market participants. Similar to the proposed CFTC regime, the discussion draft would establish a fit-for-purpose framework for the regulation of restricted digital assets, or more specifically, digital assets regulated as securities. This framework does not exist today. The bill articulates guardrails and requirements to protect investors and ensure transparency and consistency for all markets. In closing, Coinbase strongly supports creating a robust, comprehensive regime for the regulation of digital asset commodities and digital asset securities. Only Congress can do this. Although legislation can always be improved around the edges, the discussion draft would create a workable foundation for consumers, investors, and market participants alike. We urge Congress to act as soon as possible. We welcome the opportunity to continue participating in this dialogue, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Uh, Chairman Thompson, Ranking Member Scott, Chairman Johnson, and Ranking Member Caraveo, and members of the committee, thank you for inviting me to testify today on the important topic of digital asset regulation. My name is Dan Gallagher, and I'm the Chief Legal Compliance and Corporate Affairs Officer at Robinhood Markets. I've worked in the financial services industry for over 25 years, 
and served as a commissioner of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission and as deputy director of the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets. Robinhood was formed in 2013 with a single mission, to democratize finance for all, regardless of a customer's background, income, or wealth. Robinhood is an American company with over 2,000 employees in the United States serving millions of American customers. At Robinhood, we pioneered a commission-free, no-account minimums investing model that has helped open the stock market to tens of millions of new retail investors and save them billions of dollars. We've also worked to democratize access to other corners of the financial markets. Since 2018, Robinhood Crypto, which is proud to operate in the United States, has offered customers the ability to buy, sell, store, and transfer certain cryptocurrencies at low cost with no trading commissions and no account minimums. Innovation is at Robinhood's core. We're committed to working with policymakers to, to foster the development of blockchain technology and digital asset markets through tailored, responsible regulation. But the reality is that in the United States, market participants face a patchwork of inconsistent state frameworks and a lack of regulatory clarity at the federal level. This unpredictable landscape stifles innovation and hampers responsible firms like Robinhood. To be clear, we believe Robinhood Crypto has a qualitatively different model than other digital asset platforms. We are not an exchange that matches customer orders. We offer 18 digital assets compared to hundreds on other platforms. We don't offer yield-generating products like staking or lending. And Robinhood Markets is a publicly traded company subject to SEC disclosure rules, and we operate to highly regulated, registered subsidiary broker-dealers that are our primary business. Some in senior regulatory positions maintain that the law is clear and no further guidance for digital assets is necessary. We disagree. In fact, it often feels like we are facing what Lewis Carroll called a Humpty Dumpty view of the world, a world where federal regulators believe words, like the word security, quote, mean just what one chooses them to mean, nothing more nor less. For example, regulators look to a 1946 Supreme Court case concerning orange groves to define whether a digital asset is an investment contract subject to the securities laws. There are legitimate questions about whether certain digital asset transactions involve investment contracts. And the application of a decades-old case addressing orange groves is hardly clear when applied to today's digital asset ecosystem. The lack of federal regulatory clarity is bad for American consumers who want access to digital assets, bad for innovation, and bad for the competitive position of the United States which is already losing out to Europe and other foreign jurisdictions. Regulatory clarity would allow market participants to provide products and services their customers want without the constant threat of crippling enforcement actions and would help ensure that the U.S. remains a global leader in this space. Today's discussion draft provides that much-needed regulatory clarity. I'd also like to thank Financial Services Committee Chairman McHenry Ranking Member Waters, Chairman Hill, and Ranking Member Lynch for their work on this important matter. It's important to get the details right, and I've provided additional thoughts and recommendations in my written testimony. 
For too long, the digital asset economy and millions of Americans who wish to participate in it have had to contend with stifling regulatory uncertainty. The discussion draft is a positive step forward and will finally bring clarity to the market. I look forward to working with members and staff to further enhance this important legislation. Thank you, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you for your testimony, Mr. Gallagher. Uh, Mr. Berkowitz, you now have five minutes. Begin when you're ready. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Scott, members of the committee, for the invitation to appear here to discuss gaps in the regulation of the digital asset markets. My appearance today is in my own personal capacity. I am not representing or speaking on behalf of any other person, governmental agency, or private sector entity. This committee's hearing today is timely. Digital assets and the associated blockchain technologies have the potential to transform the availability, scope, and efficiency of financial services to American consumers and businesses. As the events of the past year have demonstrated, however, certain of these unregulated markets are operating in a manner that presents significant risks to customers and investors in these markets, including risks from information asymmetries, abusive trading practices, manipulation, and conflicts of interest. The SEC regulates the trading of digital assets that are securities. The CFTC regulates the trading of derivatives on digital assets. Neither the CFTC nor the SEC has regulatory authority over the cash or spot markets for non-security digital assets. This gap needs to be closed. The CFTC presently regulates the futures markets for digital assets, conducts surveillance of the underlying spot markets as part of its oversight of the futures markets, and can bring enforcement actions for fraud or manipulation in the spot market. Providing the CFTC with regulatory authority over these non-security spot markets would leverage its current enforcement authority and surveillance program. Legislation to provide the CFTC with regulatory authority over these markets should require that trading facilities for non-security spot digital assets be licensed by the, S by the CFTC. The legislation also should provide for the regulation of intermediaries in these markets. The legislation should establish core principles for the operation of a non-security digital asset trading facility. The legislation should establish a dual track for the review of applications to trade specific digital assets on the facility. On one track, the SEC would review the asset proposed to be traded to determine whether the digital asset is a security. Digital assets determined to be securities would continue to be regulated under the securities laws and not be eligible for trading on a CFTC-licensed facility. On the other track, the CFTC would review the proposed listing to determine whether the digital asset will be traded in accordance with the CFTC's core principles, including disclosure requirements. The CFTC should be provided with a dedicated source of funding for the regulation and oversight of the non-security digital asset spot market. Current CFTC resources are not sufficient to undertake this new responsibility without undermining the CFTC's ability to oversee the traditional commodity markets, including agricultural commodity markets. The legislation otherwise should maintain existing agency jurisdictions and authorities. The CFTC and SEC have the necessary and appropriate authorities to regulate the derivative and security markets. Amendments to the SEC's authorities over one particular asset class, such as digital assets, would be unnecessary and counterproductive. 
carving out of the SEC's authority a particular type of asset based upon its particular technology of creation or distribution or degree of centralization in the market for its distribution would disrupt decades of settled securities law, create uncertainty about the meaning and interpretation of new and existing statutory terms, delay compliance with security and commodities laws for years while agencies are conducting numerous rulemakings to define new terms and establish new requirements, hinder current enforcement of the securities laws to protect investors, and generate opportunities for regulatory arbitrage in the capital markets based upon the technology for which the asset is created or distributed rather than the functional nature of the instrument or asset to raise capital from investors. Legislation, as outlined in my testimony, would close the regulatory gap in a straightforward manner. It would provide critically needed protections to investors. The dual track process for the review of digital assets would provide regulatory certainty as to the legal status of a digital asset prior to the trading of the asset on any facility. Together, these reforms would enable the U.S. to maintain its global leadership in financial technology and markets. Thank you. I'm happy to answer questions. Thank you for your testimony, Mr. Berkovitz. Uh, Mr. Lukin, please begin when you are ready. You have five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Scott, former Chairman Lucas, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to testify about the need for a strong regulatory regime for the spot digital asset market. And prior to my role at FIA, I had the honor of serving as Commissioner and Acting Chairman of the CFTC over a seven-year period of time as well as working on the Senate Agriculture Committee involved with the passage of the Commodity Futures Modernization Act of 2000 that created the current CFTC principles-based regulatory system. Next year, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission Act of 1974. This act created the CFTC, providing it with exclusive jurisdiction over futures trading and greatly expanding the definition of commodities beyond ag products. This was done to capture the financial products that were beginning to be listed on boards of trade, but the definition's catch-all language also served to future-proof the law for innovative new products. Indeed, over the last five decades, we have seen futures contracts launched on interest rates, energy, weather, carbon offsets, volatility, and even digital assets, as my colleague, uh, Chairman John Carlo, had noted. In 2000, Congress passed another major reform, the Commodity Futures Modernization Act, that provided the CFTC with a new principles-based regulatory regime. In its two decades of existence, the CFTC's core principles framework has proved effective due to its flexible but clear approach. The act provides the CFTC with the ability to issue rules and guidance on core principles but provides built-in flexibility for entities to take a different approach if they can prove the core principles are still being met. Such flexibilities has allowed for innovative new products and market approaches. It has also helped the CFTC extend its regulatory regime cross-border, given the global nature of many benchmark futures products. This cross-border framework built on regulatory cooperation and comparability would align well with the cross-border nature of digital commodities. The CFTC also has a strong track record of protecting customer funds and stamping out fraud and abuse affecting retail customers. 
which could benefit the spot digital asset market. The CEA contains strong disclosure and money segregation requirements aimed at protecting customer funds. These protections include risk disclosures, capital and anti-money laundering requirements, customer trade guarantees, and know your customer obligations. Like digital assets, the CFTC and NFA have analogous experience in the regulation of spot markets where retail retail participants were experiencing abuse. I was acting chair of the CFTC in 2007 and 2008, and we saw an enormous increase in retail spot foreign currency fraud due to a gap in regulatory authority. Congress, with this committee's leadership, closed this loophole in 2008, granting additional protections to retail participants in the spot forex market. With these changes, the CFTC and NFA were able to set limits on leverage, require brokers to register and be well capitalized, and aggressively enforce rules against fraud. Ultimately, the CFTC and NFA eliminated significant fraud and abuse in those retail spot markets. While the CFTC does not currently have statutory authority to regulate spot digital markets, as this legislation would contemplate, it does have broad enforcement powers over spot markets and commodities, and it has used those powers aggressively to bring more than 80 enforcement actions involving wrongdoing in digital asset commodities. Beyond digital assets, the CFTC has a proven track record of preserving market integrity through enforcement, using its expertise on market manipulation. The agency has brought forward successful manipulation cases against energy and agricultural uh, companies, as well as the precedent-setting case on the manipulation of the LIBOR benchmark. Given the potential for disruptive trading and manipulation in the spot digital asset market, the CFTC's enforcement powers make the Commission well-positioned to protect customers in this space. Thank you again for the opportunity to testify about the CFTC and the benefits of the Commission's principles-based regulatory system. Thank you for your testimony, Mr. Lucan. At this time, members will be recognized for questions in order of seniority, alternating between majority and minority members, and in order, to, in order of their arrival for those who have joined after the hearing has convened. You'll be recognized for five minutes, each in order to allow us to get to as many questions as we possibly can. I now recognize myself for five minutes. Mr. John Carlo, since you stepped down from the CFTC chairman, you've continued to focus on digital assets, or for our purposes here today, digital commodities. For those members still on the fence on the merits of digital commodities, could you please describe their value today and their potential value in the future for the United States businesses and Main Street Americans? Beyond trading them on the exchange, Put it another way, why should we, Congress, and the Agriculture Committee care about digital commodities? Uh, thank you for the question. I, I think the answer to it depends somewhat on how one views the value of this innovation. If, if one views this simply as some funky new investable asset class, a la some precious metals or uh, treasury repo or something, then the dollar, measured in dollars, the value is circa $1 trillion down from as much as, oh, close to $3 trillion, uh, as much as a year ago. But if you view this more broadly, as, as I've come to view it in the eight years that I've been studying it, as really a new architecture 
of value, an architecture of, of, of finance and banking and money itself, then it's really harder to estimate the value. But I, I want to take a crack at it. You know, the existing architecture of value is one where we store value on the balance sheets of proprietary commercial firms. It's kind of a strange way of doing it. 90% of the value is housed as liabilities. My checking account with Bank of America, my, my 401k with Fidelity, are not stacks of $100 bills in their vault. They're IOUs to them. And as we've seen just in the last 120 days, those institutions can go down. This new architecture says, let's use the internet, let's use um, a digital networks as a way of storing value. You know, that old architecture, as venerable as it is, is rather slow, it's expensive, it's unstable, um, and it is exclusive. This new architecture of an internet of value, well, in 30 years, the internet has never gone down. And it's more, brought more people around the globe into information gathering, into um, communications than ever before. So what is the value of this new innovation? Well, it's, 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 it's hard to say, but to think that somehow the, the same internet that has changed everything we know about communications, information, and retail shopping is not going to do the same thing to banking and finance, I think is somewhat naive. So the real question is, what are the values of this innovation? What can we do as Americans to make sure that this new innovation, as it goes forward and weaves its, its way, reflects the values of our society? And I think that's what this committee has done with this legislation, has made a statement say, that says this new innovation is going to reflect American values brought together by Congress. So and I would agree. Wouldn't you agree, though, that it also establishes a regulatory framework uh, for trading digital commodities to protect millions of citizens? I mean, to me, this is very paramount. Critically paramount. And as, as my other colleagues have mentioned, our European competitors, our Asian competitors, are moving forward with putting those frameworks in place. And as they put those frameworks together, they're putting their values on this innovation. You know, America led the first wave of the information because we stamped our values on it, and this is the opportunity today to make sure this new innovation reflects those American values Thank you. as well. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Lucan, in your testimony, you talked about how the CFTC's principles-based regulation is flexible and designed to future-proof regulation of new products that were not considered prior to drafting the Commodities Exchange Act. Can you talk about how this approach can be beneficial to the CFTC's regulation of the digital asset markets? No, I think Congress, in its foresight, figured out how the principles-based system could give flexibility not only to market participants who may be innovating, and, and the CFTC, as noted earlier, has innovation, promoting innovation in its mission, actually, and the principles-based system helps that. But importantly, it allows the regulator to keep pace with these innovations. So the flexibility goes both ways. It goes both market participants as well as the regulators to make sure that those core principles, those 23 core principles over markets are being met no matter what innovations may be happening. Yep, yep. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Mr. Uh, Graywall, why do you think it's beneficial that the discussion draft is based on existing law and regulations for securities and commodity derivatives? The benefit of relying upon the existing structures, uh, Congressman, is that it allows uh, the uh, investing public and, of course, regulators and this body um, to have confidence that we are, uh, we are working with standards 
uh, uh, practices and histories that are well understood and that have served the American public reasonably well. No system is perfect, but the Commodities Exchange Act, the CFTC's long history of regulating underlying markets where there are listed futures, all suggests that this commission is more than capable of rising to the new challenge right. of a new asset class. Thank you. Thank you for those comments. I now recognize Ranking Member David Scott for five minutes for questions. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, gentlemen, I want to get to the real essence of this debate here this morning. It's so important for us to find out what all this is going to cost to do what it is we are here discussing to do with this emerging digital assets. And so in my five minutes, I want to hear from each of you as to what amount of funding is all this going to take to do it impactfully. We got our users here, and we got our SEC and FTC, whom I've worked with for my 21 years on this body. Give us this. This is the missing piece in this whole uh, debate. What about the funding, SEC and, F and CFTC, and to the users, is it going to work? How it's going to work? Mr. Lucan, let me start with you, and I want to hear from each of you, and I think I got about four minutes left, so please. No, I would be very simple and say that the CFTC needs appropriate funding to make sure we're taking on these markets. It's difficult when for me. you say appropriate, tell yeah. me, what would you say? How much? Well, I mean, I think you should look back at what happened during Dodd-Frank and the, and the, for them to take on those, those markets and the appropriate teams, as the chairman outlined in his testimony, they're going to have to hire new additional people with expertise. I would say that the market, although it's enormous, there are – the legislation um, consolidates a lot of this regulation into entities who either exchange or brokers. I, I hate to interrupt you. I want to hear from some of the others. But you've been around – the bulk of this is going to fall on the FTC, CFTC, I'm sorry. How much? Give us about a ballpark figure of what you feel it's going to take to do what is in this regulatory piece of legislation. I, I would be guessing. I, I mean, the CFTC, I think, I think Chairman Benham mentioned 10%, I think, in his testimony. I, but to me, and you also have to bear in mind that the NFA is going to be extremely involved in this to do as well, and they're, they're going to be levying fees on the industry to raise money to do it. So those things have to be thought of in okay. conjunction. Do you agree with that, SEC? And give us a well, figure. Look, we got to put an amount in this bill, and well, now you've got a chance well, to tell uh, us what you think you need. Tell yeah. us. Yes, I, I can't speak for the, the, the SEC. What this bill would do, one of the things that would shift a lot from the SEC to the CFTC over certain types of assets that are now considered securities would be, under, under this bill, would be digital commodities over under the CFTC's jurisdiction. So I, you know, I, I would think Chair, Chair Benham's $120 million over three years would be at least as much you would, as you would need because this is 
this is a, a substantial responsibility over a substantial new class of assets that are currently regulated under a different agency. Uh, 120, right. Uh, Ranking Member Scott, I, I, I had the great pleasure of not being chairman of the SEC, just one of the, the regular commissioners. And part of that pleasure was not getting involved in the budget process. So I wouldn't even be able to guess, unlike my former chairman colleagues up here on the panel. Um, one thing I would call out, though, too, the cost of not moving forward from our perspective. You called us users. We're, we're representing customers, right? We're, we're agents here. But the cost of having regulation and these markets go offshore, which is happening. It's real. It's not some uh, you know, boy crying wolf issue. It, it's migrating offshore is going to be massive to the U.S., to U.S. investors, lost opportunity. And then the cost of the vagueness of the current regulatory structure is real, and that's being borne on, on American investors. Okay, General. Yes. Uh, Ranking Member Scott, I would just add that the costs go even further than I, I think my colleague to my left has, has properly identified. There is a, an important cost to a lack of standards that uh, industry and, and investors and consumers can understand and follow. And that cost comes in the form of lost innovation here in the United States. I think that's also important to bear in mind in weighing whatever resources would be appropriate in order to allow the CFTC to do its job here. Oh, I think I get to all five. I would take, uh, I would take Chairman Benham at his word if he estimates 120 million over three years. I think he's done his numbers. 120 million. Thank you. I now recognize the gentleman from Oklahoma, Frank Lucas, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for the panel to be uh, to agreeing to testify and spending your day with us here in the Ag Committee. Uh, Mr. Giancarlo, it's good to see you again, and I'll direct my first question at you. Earlier today, I discussed with Chairman Benham how the CFTC and SEC will need to collaborate during the rulemaking process proposed under the market structure draft. In his response, the chair reflected on the history of CFTC's intersection with SEC as it related to digital assets. As you reminded us in your testimony, CFTC approved regulated future contracts tied to Bitcoin back in 2017. So, Mr. Giancarlo, I'd like to call upon your expertise in this space with this question. Could you discuss the history of CFTC's collaboration with the SEC regarding digital assets and how Congress can help this process going forward. Share us your scars and calluses. Thank you very much. It's, it's good to be back in the saddle once again before you in this great committee. Um, uh, I can't speak to the history prior to my arrival at the CFTC, although it was rumored not to have been terribly good in prior administrations. One of the things that Chairman Clayton at the SEC and I vowed to do was to improve that. And we felt that as people who had come from the business uh, sector, we had uh, an imperative to work our, to make sure our two agencies worked well together. And in the area of digital assets, we formed a bi a, 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 an ad hoc working group between our two agencies that met roughly every two weeks to go through innovations in digital assets. It thoughtfully, intelligently, with no particular agenda to get anything done this month or next month, but to work through the emerging issues. And the very first one we focused on was Bitcoin. And that support that we had from the SEC at the time in 2017 allowed us to move forward with the decision to greenlight Bitcoin futures. So the collaboration between the two agencies 
was very important. When I, at the end of my five-year term, I met with Chairman McHenry, and he asked me to reflect on those five years, and I mentioned the work that the two agencies had done together. And I think some of that has led to some of the Title V provisions for an advisory group, working group between the two agencies, growing out of the work that uh, Chairman Clayton and I, and that was continued by um, uh, Chairman Tarbert and Chairman Clayton uh, at, during their terms as well. It's already been discussed at this hearing that other jurisdictions, such as the European Union and Japan, have frameworks for digital assets, and countries like the United Kingdom are working towards their own regulations. So I address this question first to Mr. Lucan and then to you, John Carlo. Could you each discuss how it makes our job of writing our own rules here at home more difficult if we see digital asset regimes flourishing outside of the United States? No, it's, it's important that the U.S. show leadership in this area because the rest of the world is, is starting to fill the void. Um, and so you're going to see markets develop overseas if the U.S. doesn't step up and develop a regulatory regime. You cannot regulate by enforcement alone. It needs um, the regulatory system in place to make sure that there are standards of, of good conduct and that these are happening on well-regulated, lit exchanges. Um, so it's incredibly important that we show that leadership um, and make sure that we coordinate with our regulatory colleagues. Because as I mentioned, um, the CFTC has a regulatory system that is global. So if we fill this gap, we can actually show leadership in, this, in these global markets. Uh, Professor Bradford of Columbia University has written extensively on what she calls the Brussels effect. Brussels, uh, the European Union looks at new legislation as an opportunity to develop European standards and then get the rest of the world to have to follow those standards rather than any others because if they want to sell into the European Union, they adopt those standards and then they say, what the heck, we'll adopt it for the whole world. And it's a way of exporting their values, which is why in, in, in response to an earlier question, I talk, spoke about the importance of stamping American values on this new innovation, very much the way we did with the first wave of the internet. That's why this legislation is so important. Values of consumer protection, values of transparency, values of openness, values of sound but practical principles-based regulation. And I think that's what this legislation attempts to do as a first step. Thank you very much. Very insightful, gentlemen, as always. With that, I yield back, uh, Mr. Chair. I now recognize the gentlewoman from Colorado, Ms. Caravale. Caravale. Caravale, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And thank you again, gentlemen, for taking time to provide testimony today. Um, I think you were all probably sitting in the back earlier when I um, spoke to Chairman Benham. Um, and I would like to ask you the, the same initial question. Based on your various experiences and expertise, are there any considerations that may be missing from this proposal? And that's for anybody on the panel. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I, I think I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Congresswoman, I've laid out a few additional considerations to think about. Um, I think it's, it's, it's very sound in its initial architecture. I think there's some things around the, uh, the edges that could help. Um, and I do think, just as a general matter, when legislating in this space, Congress should speak very clearly to the agencies. Um, this is an issue. I lived the post Dodd-Frank world as an SEC commissioner, so we had a, about 110 rulemaking mandates that came from Congress, and some were very prescriptive and some less so. And where we saw problems with implementation is where we had less prescriptive guidance coming from Congress. 
and, and some things that seemed like they should be easy turned into a bureaucratic quagmire. And, and I would just caution you against that. If you have real uh, strong views on a specific issue, make it more prescriptive. I would like to note that the CFTC, as, as Chairman Benham outlined in his, in his testimony, the CFTC markets are different from the SEC regulated markets. The function of the CFTC regulated markets is generally price discovery and risk management. The function of the SEC regu regulated markets is capital formation. And the regulatory regimes, each agency has a regulatory regime fit for purpose. The CFTC's regulatory regime, as Chairman Benham explained, is really designed for the wholesale market. Moving into the retail is something the CFTC hasn't traditionally done. That's where the SEC regulatory regime really is based. There's a lot, much more robust retail protection in an SEC regulated market because you're dealing with people's retirement funds, you're dealing with their life savings, you're not dealing with cattle or whatever. And, and the cattle markets deserve protection too, the farmers or whatever, but it's a different standard. There's a disclosure standard and there's anti-fraud in the CFTC markets, but the brokers in the, in the um, brokers in the, in the securities markets, they have to ask and act in the best interest of their customers. The investment advisors have a fiduciary duty. Many of those duties are not present in CFTC-regulated markets. If you take an instrument that's a type of digital asset that has those protections in the security market and you move it into a CFTC market, as is the CFTC markets do not have those protections. CFTC is a market regulator. The SEC is much more on the investment side. You would need to supplement the bill, I believe, the way it's drafted with those additional protections because they are not, as, as I read it, and I've only had a, a few days and maybe they're there and I, and I need to study it further, but my initial read, I do not see that same level of investor protection that currently exists in the security markets for these instruments as they would be regula uh, regulated in a CFTC market. You can't just move an instrument from one agency to another and say they're both market regulators. It's a lot more complicated than that. Thank you so much. That actually answered my other question. But um, anybody to the first, uh, Mr. Lucan. Yeah, I would just mention one unique thing about this legislation is it does contemplate a disintermediated marketplace where people are going directly to the marketplace. The futures markets have brokers that deal with the customer, and a lot of the current CFTC law is customer protections are with the brokers themselves, the FCMs. And so those protections now will be placed with the exchange itself to segregate money, to disclosures, those sorts of things. Uh, th there may be conflicts. I think we saw this with the FTX debacle, that because you conflated all these things into one entity, there weren't the compartmentalization of risk that typically are in these markets. That the legislation does uh, contemplate conflicts of interest and making sure there is that those firewalls. Um, but I think it's something worth studying, whether they actually need to be separate or not, or registered differently than uh, the exchange itself. And it's just something unique that, that uh, this legislation does differently. Congresswoman, the other thing that the, the, the draft, I think, recognizes appropriately is a dual role for both the CFTC and the SEC on a going forward basis. And in particular, recognizes that the SEC will continue to have a role, uh, its primary role, in regulating uh, digital asset securities. Thank you so much, gentlemen. That was very valuable feedback. I now recognize the gentleman from Indiana, Mr. Baird, for five minutes. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, I want to thank the witnesses for being here. It's really helpful to have the kind of expertise that you represent uh, to share with this committee as we try to make decisions. My first question goes to John Carlo in your written testimony. You make three recommendations to improve the discussion draft. And I know you haven't had a lot of time to look at that either, but but this the, the first is that the bill should impose a deadline on the CFTC and the SEC uh, to complete the joint um, direct and def definition rulemaking. Why do you think that's important? Deadlines focus the mind. Uh, deadlines focus the attention of the staffs. Uh, deadlines um, uh, uh, force organizations to marshal the resources necessary to get something done and not just add it to the list of to-do. So there's nothing like I've learned in business, 30 years in business, there's nothing like a deadline to get something done. And without a deadline, one tends to go to other things on one's uh, priority list. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Lucan, uh, the Commodity Exchange Act specifically identifies one of its purposes as promoting responsible innovation and fair competition. Would, it, would, would this uh, program promote responsible innovation and fair competition to bring the digital commodities into the CFTC's uh, regulatory sphere? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the contemplated draft that has been put out um, would develop exactly the system we've been talking about, responsible, principles-based regulation. And remember, competition is a way of policing the marketplace. It's the free market system policing itself. And that's what we want to unleash. We want to be referees to make sure there's a fair system here, but allow the competitors to compete. And I think this legislation would do that. Thank you. Uh, does, do any of the other uh, witnesses have any thoughts about either of these questions? Uh, you know, uh, the first one being the complete joint definitional rulemaking, why you think that's important? Uh, and then the last one here was was about um, the digital commodities into the CFTC's regulatory sphere. So, um, just Congressman, if I may speak to the speak further to the value and virtue of deadlines. The only other point I would, I would encourage this committee to consider is that this market and these technologies are changing very quickly. And so while I think it is absolutely the case that deadlines impose a certain clarity and discipline regardless of, of the underlying innovations that may be taking place, here it is critical given just how quickly uh, the landscape is changing. If I, if I, if I, could, if I could add a comment on uh, what Mr. Graywell just said, and that, that's, I think, a concern potentially with the approach. Is the approach fixes certain classifications such as digital assets, what agency gets what jurisdiction, on a specific technological way it is currently traded or a specific characteristic of a blockchain network, particular characteristics of who owns how much of that network and exactly how it's structured. This technology is changing very rapidly. I, I, I would just urge some caution into freezing these regulatory categories as a state of this technology as it exists in June of 2023. This, these, these instruments are changing very rapidly. The markets are changing very rapidly. Fixing these categories to particular technology definitions at a fixed point in time may not allow for the innovation that, that this technology needs. The current system is, as, as uh, 
former Chair Lucan said, under the SEC, principles-based. There's principles as to what a security is. It's not fixed to a technology. So I would just urge caution in getting too technologically focused on the definition of a security. Uh, I'd like to jump in on that one, Congressman Baird. Uh, I, uh, like Mr. Graywall here um, and, and Mr. Uh, former Chairman Lucan, agree deadlines, uh, it was you, Jim Carlo, wasn't it? Sorry. Deadlines are important. In Dodd-Frank, I already referenced uh, our, our work in Dodd-Frank at the SEC. We had 110 mandates. Many of them had one- and two-year deadlines. I remember telling Chair Shapiro at the time, this is going to take a decade. And I had been a staffer. I'd worked on rules. I knew what they were like. And she was very upset when I said that. But um, uh, 12 years later, they're still finishing some of those rules. And so the idea that you're not going to put a deadline on this and prioritize it ahead of what many, I would say, are sort of extraneous rules that are being worked on right now at the agencies, I, I think would not be a good, uh, a good use of, of your time uh, and the agency's time. So please, please do proceed. I see I'm out of time, and thank you very much for your comments. I appreciate it. I yield back, Mr. Chair. I now recognize the gentlewoman from Illinois, Ms. Budzinski, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, and thank you to the panelists for being here today. I appreciate it. Um, my questions are really more around consumer protections, and, and they're really to any of the panelists. Um, you know, many have questioned how consumer protections will be enforced against a fully uh, decentralized blockchain. Um, do you believe adequate consumer protections could be achieved by regulating the exchanges, platforms, according to the established CFTC core principles? What other protections could, provide, could, be, could we provide under the CEA principle-based uh, regulation, in your opinion? Well, Congresswoman, as I stated earlier, I don't think, as currently structured, the CFT, CFTC regime provides the same level of investor protection or customer protection as the SEC regime provides. It's not just the exchange trading. It's the, it, it's the advisors and the brokers that are also part of the infrastructure in the securities market. If you, if you go and you want to buy a security, you want to buy Apple stock, chances are well, you could you could do it on on Mr. Gallagher's platform. You could just buy it on on, on his. Please please do. <laughs> on, on, on on his. But if you want to go to a, an advisor, if you want to get some advice from mm -hmm. an investment advisor, how should I plan for my retirement? What should I do? Is this a good investment? You go to an investment advisor, and they have a fiduciary duty to act in your best interest. That doesn't exist in the CFTC world. You you go, you can go to a commodity trading advisor, and there's there's a duty of disclosure. They don't have the same clear duty in the CFTC space that you do in the security space. A broker, too. In the, in the securities world, the brokers have a duty to act in the best interests of the person they're trading for, and that many times includes the duty of best execution to get the best deal wherever it is on whatever platform it is. In the CFTC, they go to the Futures Commission merchant or whatever, and they have a duty not to tell you the truth mm -hmm. and they can't commit fraud and they got to safeguard your money but they don't have that same best ex execution duty so mm -hmm. if you're moving something from a C sec world into a cftc world there's a lesser duty Risk. and a, there's a lesser investor protections the sec system provides that to the investors where just the cftc market mm -hmm. it's a wholesale market it, it it assumes a level of sophistication on the cftc side that's that's there, not the retail. So you need to bolster. You need to bolster that. Okay, Congressman, could I just yeah. jump in? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, from the, the SEC registered broker 
perspective, and of course we have our affiliate Robinhood Crypto that's not registered, it is doable today to provide these customer protections. That's what we strive for every day at Robinhood. Let's take these learnings that we have, some of the learnings that, uh, that uh, Mr. Berkowitz was talking about from our registered broker side, apply them to this platform. For platforms that want to do it right, that care about their customers, that care about customer protection, it's absolutely doable now without legislation. So the idea of that it's not doable without SEC oversight, I don't necessarily agree with. I think within the construct that the bill sets out, the CFTC has all the capabilities. And I think Chairman Lucan pointed out a really good point. It, it remains to be seen yet the role of the FCM here in this role. And I think that's where the heavy work of this customer protection could possibly be handled. Uh, but it's, it's entirely doable. And quite frankly, for a platform like us, we would say, we're already doing that. We could comply tomorrow uh, you know, to provide not only the basic investor protections, but what we, what we view as enhanced protections. Mm -hmm. Congresswoman, we could and would absolutely comply tomorrow, as Mr. Gallagher suggests. And to the extent there are concerns you or others on the committee may have about um, the sufficiency of consumer protections, I would encourage you to consider that the discussion draft speaks specifically to important restrictions that protect consumers in important ways. For example, requirements for asset segregation. For example, restrictions on commingling. For example, uh, requirements that there be full disclosure of any conflicts arising out of affiliated entities. So the draft does do a very good job of assuring explicitly that the types of protections that consumers need are included as part of this scheme. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, Congresswoman, what many uh, advocates for this technology are seeking is a less intermediated world than the one that they've been, that they found themselves in. And so I think as we go forward, we need to try to find the right balance. The, the goal can't be to re-erect an entire intermediated world on this new technology, a technology that's been developed to break through some of the gatekeeping uh, uh, rent collecting, cost collection that goes on in the existing financial system and make it more accessible. Okay. Um, I think I'm about out of time, so I'll just yield back. But thank you for your, your insights on that, on that question. I appreciate it. I now recognize the gentleman from Tennessee, Mr. Rose, for five minutes. Thank you to our, our panel of witnesses for your time today. And uh, I'll dive right into my questions. Mr. Gallagher, I noted that there are a small handful of digital assets in the very recent Binance and Coinbase complaints that the SEC alleges are securities that are also available on Robinhood Crypto's platform. To the extent this allegation were proven to be true, couldn't you simply offer those tokens through your SEC registered broker dealer? Well, thank you very much for that question, Congressman. It's a, it's a very, very telling question. The answer is no. It, there are a few uh, coins that have been noted in recent SEC complaints that we do trade on our platform. We are actively reviewing the SEC analysis to, to determine uh, what, if any, actions to take in that regard. But you would think with a major broker-dealer sitting on the other side of our house, our primary business, we could simply say, okay, SEC, you've just said these are securities. I'm going to go trade them on my broker now. It's impossible without regulatory relief and infrastructure changes in the securities markets. And, and beyond what you've already identified, are there what are the obstacles to, to, to doing that? So, uh, Congressman, in my written testimony, I laid out a little bit about a process we called crypto the hard way at Robinhood. When Chair Gensler at the SEC in 2021 said, come in and register, we did. <laughs> we actually came in 
and we did it proactively. We weren't being investigated by the SEC. We did it just because he wanted folks to do it. We thought it was good for our business and our customers. We went through a 16-month process with the SEC staff trying to register a special purpose broker-dealer, um, and then we were pretty summarily told in March that that process was over and, and we would not see um, any, any fruits of that effort. Now, the, the barriers, one of the barriers that was raised um, in the discussions was the need to fix the, what I'll call the 33 Act disclosure, so the, the issuer disclosure deficiency that the SEC views as being present in crypto markets. For us as an agency broker to fix a, a perceived issuer disclosure issue is impossible. We can't control the actions of third parties. And so by, by laying out that one issue, you know, became a very high hurdle to pass. And that's why I admire the construct in the bill today that would get us quickly past that issue of, of the SEC registration status of the issuer. And just for the record, what is the status of your registration effort presently? I believe it's uh, the technical term would be DOA. Um, <laughs> it, I, it, we, we just got an email saying no more talks, uh, but they'd be happy to talk to us uh, about a pending and any rulemaking. So if, if there will be a rulemaking on special purpose brokers, we will, we will engage quickly. I'm hoping we can still make process, uh, progress with the SEC. I mean, the, the, the professional staff was nothing but professional throughout the whole process. I think they want, my sense was, they wanted to find some way uh, to be able to do this, um, but it just wasn't to be had. Thank you. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. In 2021, SEC Chair Gensler said regarding the regulation of digital assets, quote, there are some gaps in this space. We need additional congressional authorities to prevent transact or to prevent transactions, products, and platforms from falling between regulatory cracks. Close quote. In 2022, he said that exemptive relief may be needed for crypto platforms to register with the SEC. It now seems that his tune has changed. He now says the securities laws are clear but that he doesn't need, and that he doesn't need additional authority from Congress. Mr. Berkowitz, uh, do you agree with Chair Gensler version one, uh, that he needs more authority from Congress to regulate crypto, or do you agree with Chair Gensler version two, that the federal securities laws are 100% clear and no relief is necessary to regulate digital assets, securities, and crypto platforms seeking to support them? Well, I, I think the, the statutory authorities are adequate and sufficient and appropriate, the securities laws. But I do believe that there's the regulatory gap, as I've outlined in my testimony, that legislation is needed to close the current regulatory gap over non-security digital assets. And that, that's what I say in my testimony. Thank you. I appreciate that. I uh, try to fit in one more. Mr. Graywall, you mentioned your petition for SEC rulemaking in your testimony. Why do you think it's necessary and appropriate for us to act with new legislation if you're also pressing for rulemaking with the SEC as evidence through your petition at the same time? Thank you, Congressman. I appreciate your raising the petition for rulemaking. We filed last July, nearly uh, 10 or I guess now 11 months ago. Um, uh, and with the reason we filed that petition, even as we support a legislative effort such as the one we we're discussing today, is that under the current, uh, uh, under the current um, uh, uh, circumstances at the SEC, as Mr. Gallagher has alluded to, the invitation has been extended repeatedly to come in and register. And yet, like Robinhood, when Coinbase has attempted to do just that, to talk about how we could register 
as a broker-dealer or an ATS, or even as an NSE. After months and months of discussion, we were simply dismissed with no response or, or, or any counterproposal or ideas coming back from the SEC. Thank you. My time's expired. Thanks for your indulgence, and I yield back. I now recognize the gentleman from California, Mr. Duarte, for five minutes. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Dan Gallagher, you're the uh, only one with the SEC on your placard in front of you, so let's talk about SEC stuff to start. Oh, maybe. Because he didn't put it on there. That's the only reason, Congressman. <laughs> well, you were... through the last one. You made a mistake. Um, anyways, I go on Charles Schwab of brokerage to buy a stock, and I can look at financial details. I can look at fundamental details. I can look at um, all kinds of company analytics, book value, earnings per share. And now we're going to put crypto objects on the stock market under the SEC guidance. How does a retail investor know what they're getting or what the fundamentals are, or how do they evaluate? What are the metrics of, that help them understand what they're buying? It's a great question, Congressman. And, and the answer is disclosure. And that is what's missing right now. Compulsory disclosure in the, in the digital asset space is disclosure missing. of what? I'm sorry. I mean, how many shares are out there? How many oh, users I mean, are out there? What, anything. What are the metrics that would foretell high likelihood of success or at least let us evaluate one versus another? How do you measure an airdropped crypto asset from a securities exchange point of view? Um, what is the relevant information? Um, I know earnings per share or discounted cash flow is right. always a theory of stock valuation. What is the theory of crypto valuation on the SEC, from the SECs that we're defending to protect right. retail customers? Yeah, look, I think the value of disclosure is in the eye of the, the investor, right? So some investors want to look at quantitative measures like, like discounted cash flows, as you said. Some want to look at qualitative measures. Who's the management team? Who formed this? What, in, in this instance, what does this coin do? Does it have a utility? Uh, what network is it on? Is it stakeable, right? All, all of these other features that might be important to it. Well, what would be the, com what would be the comparable of full dilution or earnings per share um, in, when you talk about crypto? Oh, boy, you've, just, you've gone right past my level of Can, accounting uh, expertise. Might, might, I, might I jump in? Because it, it's, it's a really interesting question. So in the commodities world, overseen by the CFTC, there isn't the same kind of disclosure you get in the securities world. In other words, if you want to buy oil futures, if you want to buy wheat futures, there isn't disclosure put out as to how the wheat market's necessary. I'll get to that next, but yeah. tell me yeah. something about oh. the securities field. Can any of you answer me, what are the prime metrics of, may, of valuing a crypto asset in the securities exchange markets, regulated markets? I think the reason we're having a hard time answering it is it hasn't happened because there's been no registration for these assets under the securities laws. Okay. So we don't, we don't have a, um, we don't no, know what we we're a, disclosing, but we're going to be completely transparent and disclose something. Something, right. But we don't that, really know where the value is vested. It's not earnings. Well, I think a lot of this it's is not business this. strategy. It's just something. Well, this I mean, because we're, we're just right now, we're closing down SPACs, right? We're just shutting it down because it's too vague, too empty, too hollow, too much room for abuse special purpose acquisition companies. Sure. We're shutting them down at the SEC, but now we're going to open up crypto, and we don't know how that's valued either. Congressman, if I may. Please. The most important element of disclosure, whether you're talking about traditional equities or a crypto asset, is what does this thing do? And in the case of crypto assets, how does this network work? What is it aimed at providing? 
in real ways for real people. That would happen under a regime of disclosure. It's important that people who purchase these crypto assets understand that, well, and they can then make independent assessments as to that value yeah, based upon their conclusions. In business, we talk about what is your competitive advantage, what is your unique value proposition, what is your corporate strategy, what are you going to do better than other companies aren't already doing, uh, what resources do you have, or what's your talent pool? I don't see how any of that fits into describing how we, dis how we value a crypto asset. So. I'll let that sit here. Um, certainly be willing to have more answers further. The other thing is, um, on the commodity side, there's lots of commodities in the world, but not all of them get listed on the Chicago Board of Trade. How do or don't, if, if I look at the, the ownership structure of, of even Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, the best case scenarios, um, it still looks like they're very consolidated in their ownership and very with a great deal of, of potential for manipulation by a few large holders to um, where the whales can, can hurt the fish. If I look at certain charts, the tiny holders are going get, to get outplayed by the larger holders. Can, what are the standards there? How can we, how can we look to prevent that? The CFTC since 1923 has had large trader reports filed daily by people trading in the markets. So they would have similar information for these products. So they would see if there was a outsized position that could be manipulated. And some of my former CFTC colleagues here know that there are surveillance staff that tries to talk those people out of positions or force them to liquidate if they're too large. And, that, and that's what happened on the LIBOR rate manipulation back in 2000. Well, that was, that was off exchange. So that was, was that was part of the problem. It was off exchange. But when it's on exchange and Chairman Giancarlo and, and my so you can see patterns of manipulation by large holders. Okay, yes, Chairman, yep. thank you, I yield back. <laughs> At this time, uh, the committee will break to accommodate votes. I humbly wish and hope that all of us stick around. Uh, we will uh, resume after votes. So the committee stands in recess, subject to the call of the chair. Two votes.
All right, we will uh, call back to order uh, this full committee hearing. Uh, with that, first up in the question queue is Mr. Alford from Missouri. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to start off with a confession. I, like a lot of people in my 4th Congressional District of Missouri, don't own any crypto and know little about it. So I'm learning, and that's kind of where I'm approaching this today, okay? So bear with me. I'm a big believer that less government involvement in business is the best policy. But when it comes to crypto, it seems like we're living in the Wild West, and Marshall Dillon is nowhere to be found. The town, the industries that you represent, is crying out for someone to come along and lay down the law and to help save them. So, Mr. Gray, well, I want to start with you today in layman's terms so that I can understand it and our district can absorb it and America can understand. What happens if the marshal doesn't show up? If Congress does not act, what happens in the West world of cryptocurrency? Thank you very much, Congress. And I think a couple of important things will happen if this Congress fails to act. Uh, first and foremost, the spot market um, for digital asset commodities will continue to lack federal supervision in a way that will uh, uh, assure integrity and protections for consumers. Uh, as Chair Benham articulated, I thought, quite well earlier today, as things currently sit right now, there is no federal uh, 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 protection for the spot market when it comes to digital asset commodities. I think that's the most important things that, opportunity that will be lost if the Congress fails to act. The other uh, thing that will happen is that we will continue to see this innovation, this industry, invest more and more of its resources outside of the United States in jurisdictions that have a much uh, uh, more balanced and uh, uh, appropriate a framework and, and, and regulatory structure for this particular industry. So it's both about protecting consumers on the one hand in these important markets, and on the other, making sure that the innovations that are being developed are being developed here in the United States. Mr. Gallagher, what happens if uh, we don't act and, and the business goes to some other part of the world? What does that do to our economy and to uh, the industry here in America? Thanks, Congressman. I, look, I think it's already happening. We're, we're seeing firms, crypto firms, declare very publicly that they're going to move to international jurisdictions. Sometimes it's because they want to go to low to no regulation jurisdictions. Sometimes, amazingly, we're at a point now where even Europe is ahead of us in, in providing a regulatory framework, and they want to go and chase clarity. They actually want to go to a jurisdiction where they don't have to worry every day about an enforcement action being dropped, a, a coin being deemed a security. Uh, that yesterday wasn't, that sort of thing. Um, and so I think we're already there. And, and that's, again, relate, relates back to the question we had earlier about deadlines and things like that. I think it, it's uh, incredibly important for this Congress to act quickly with legislation, and I think then it's going to be incumbent on the regulators to also move quickly. Thank you. Mr. Lucan, in your testimony, you talk about how the CFTFD uh, has longstanding anti-fraud and anti-manipulation enforcement authority over the cash or spot markets, including for digital assets. Is the CFTC's limited enforcement authority sufficient to effectively police the digital asset ecosystem? You need a proper regulatory structure, um, not just only enforcement authority. So enforcement authority, and we've heard about the CFTC and the SEC taking strong action, but you can't regulate by enforcement. You need a regulatory system. Most of these actors 
here testifying today want to be in compliance. They want to do the right thing, compare, uh, compete in a fair and responsible way. Um, so if by providing a regulatory framework, we can do that, and that's going to help make sure that the bad actors stay out of, um, in your case, the wild, wild west, um, and, and, uh, and, and the good actors are actually being policed properly. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for uh, you being here today and your candor and your investment in our economy and our society. Thank you. I yield back. Ms. De La Cruz, you have five minutes. Thank you to all the witnesses joining us today. Um, my first question, Mr. Gallagher, in your written testimony, you referenced the already eroding competitive position of the U.S. with regards to digital asset markets. Is it too late for us to change the course, and how quickly do you feel we need to act? Thank you so much for the question, Congresswoman. Look, I don't think it's too late. But I do think, um, as I mentioned in my response to Congressman Alford, it's imperative that, that you move quickly. It's taken too long. Um, the need for legislation, I think, has been pretty well recognized for years now. And in that period, other jurisdictions have, have seized the moment, right? Whether it be uh, in Asia with Singapore, whether it be the, the EU. And again, the EU isn't one of the lightest touch regimes in the world. They're, very, they're deemed to be a very regulatory, um, uh, you know, a group of countries, and so um, it's kind of amazing to me that, that they've outpaced us in this regard. So I, I think there's a, a chance to uh, continue to have a thriving U.S. digital asset market, to con you know keep our innovators here, keep our entrepreneurs here. One of the things that we're finding is there's less investment in this space, right? The messaging that's been given to those who fund this incredible new technology is you're not wanted here, or whatever you're going to fund is not wanted here, so let's go fund it elsewhere, let's not fund it at all, let's fund some dif different industry. And that's being felt, in, you know, very much in, in Silicon Valley and across the country, so um, please move with, with all due haste, um, if you can. Thank you. Um, my next question is for Mr. Graywall. In light of the SEC's lawsuit against Coinbase announced this morning, uh, could you summarize for this committee your interactions with federal regulators that led to this point? Thank you, Congressman. Well, I am still digesting uh, the complaint that was served uh, earlier today. What I can speak to uh, in much greater detail are the many, many interactions we've had with the SEC going back not just uh, several months, but indeed several years. Uh, we have been a publicly listed company since 2021. As you might expect, as part of that process, we made very thorough disclosures of our business model, our review process, the way we consider assets, the way we assure that digital asset securities, because of the current law, are not listed on our platform. After after all of that disclosure, after all that examination, we were allowed to list, and so we have listed as a public company for now two plus years. Since that time, we have had over 30 engagements with the SEC to try to work towards a sensible framework for regulation that would allow, for example, the registration of platforms as either broker-dealers or an ATSs or a national security exchange we received no response after our presentations as part of those discussions. In July of last year, we filed a formal petition for rulemaking in which we asked 50 questions that we believe needed to be answered in order for there to be a reasonable and comprehensive regulatory framework and structure. Months and months have passed. We are now at 10 or 11 months. 
we still have not received a response to even whether rules would be issued, let alone what rules those might be. That's the history that we're dealing with. So in your view, could, um, could the SEC's concerns as expressed in the lawsuit be settled uh, through continued dialogue? Because what I'm hearing is that there hasn't been much dialogue. It's been one-sided dialogue. Um, or do you, would, would what would clear this up be uh, clear legislation from Congress? Is that the only way to really remedy or to settle the crypto industry specific gaps? Well, as you suggest, Congresswoman, there hasn't been much of a dialogue. I would rather, rather more accurately characterize it as a monologue. Um, nevertheless, um, we remain open and willing to discussions around what a sensible framework could look like. I would happily walk over to the commission today as soon as this hearing were done and have that conversation with the chair or any other member of the SEC or staff that were interested in that conversation. But in the absence of a true conversation or dialogue, legislation offers the best path forward, not just for Coinbase, but for the entire industry so that consumers are protected in this emerging market. That's our goal. Excellent, thank you. With that, I yield back. Thank you, ma'am. I would yield myself five minutes for questions. Mr. Gallagher, coming at you, give us some sense of the disclosure regime in place at the SEC for those offering new securities. Uh, and are, are those disclosures well suited to the digital assets marketplace? Thank, thanks for the question, Congressman. Uh, the, the requirements from the SEC are tailored to actual investment contracts, to actual securities. Um, I would say, and I have a fundamental disagreement with the notion that most or um, you know, the, the vast majority of uh, existing digital assets are securities under the traditional definition as defined um, 80 years ago in a Supreme Court case regarding orange groves. So you know, I, I don't think the current SEC requirements are appropriately tailored uh, to digital assets. I do think from what I've seen in the bill that the, the basic disclosure uh, principles in the bill, uh, in the DAMS Act, source code, transaction history, plan of development, the basic economics of the offering, the uh, list of affiliates, material risks, all these things, those are core issues that would, would be certainly subsumed within the current SEC requirements, but more tailored to this industry, to the digital asset industry. So I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Mr. Gallagher, so feel free to push back on me, but it seems as though you're saying that the passage of this bill would put into place a disclosure system that uh, is more effective and is better tailored to the marketplace than what we have today. What we have today is nothing, Congressman. What we have today are no registered coins of any merit. I think you know some might point out a few coins that registered un under the 34 Act, uh, because of an enforcement case, those aren't real. Uh, we, we don't have 33 Act registered coins um, you know, today. So, so yes, I think that what is laid out in the DAMS Act is a great, at a minimum, a great starting point. It could be the end point too. Yeah, thanks. Uh, for our three uh, former commissioners of the CFTC, thanks for being here. Uh, we're obviously uh, very grateful to have your insight. We've heard today about how the CFTC is a principles-based regulator, about how they can be nimble, about how they regulate in such a way to allow uh, for innovation within product offerings. I think sometimes that can be recharacterized as light-touch regulation without an appropriate focus on customer protection. So for the three former commissioners, uh, 
Give me a sense. Are, are those uh, mischaracterizations as off base as I assume they are? Well, maybe I'll lead off and, and, and just simply point out, just as a fact, uh, CFTC markets did not fail during the great financial crisis. Whether that regulatory structure is characterized as light touch, heavy touch, it worked as compared to perhaps some of those heavy touch jurisdiction, uh, regulatory jurisdictions where there's a great deal of failure. I, I think the CFTC regulatory system is is fit for purpose for the markets it regulates. I think it does a good job. I think the combination of principles and prescriptiveness and the core principles in CFTC regulation works well for the markets the CFTC regulates and protects adequately the market participants in the market it regulates. I do not believe that regime is adequate to protect participants in the securities markets. So I would be wary of moving securities from SEC jurisdiction into the CFTC markets. I do not think the customers and investors receive the same degree of protection in the CFTC regulated markets that they receive in the SEC regulated markets across the board. It's not just markets. There's many more aspects to the, the regulatory regimes than just the trading of these assets on exchanges. Now, the principles-based system, I think there's, there's a misunderstanding that it's somehow it is light touch. It's flexible, but don't get me wrong, and the registrants that have to, to, to comply with the Commodity Exchange Act have significant duties and responsibilities in doing so and protecting customers. And so I think you've seen over the years, um, as defaults happen in our markets, those customers have been largely protected. I mean, all the way through bankruptcy. And so this bill tries to replicate that. I, I take a little bit of, 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 of difference of opinion with my colleague here. I think the CFTC is more than capable of taking on certain customer protections for these new markets. And agreed, security should be regulated by the SEC. But the CFTC certainly has the ability, um, and they, they showed that during the retail uh, foreign currency spot markets when Congress gave them the authority to oversee that. And we're now at record low customer protection complaints, uh, according to the NFA. So to me, the CFTC certainly has the ability to, to take on this marketplace. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I think there's all the evidence uh, in the world that there are robust customer protections within uh, that regime, that the CFTC is a strong market regulator. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Giancarlo, that uh, those uh, registrants, that environment, that landscape has been uh, at least somewhat uh, to quite resilient to broader market uh, disruptions. Uh, that's not for nothing. Right. Uh, our, uh, with that, I would yield back. Uh, Mr. Soto, followed by Mr. Molinaro, is the, uh, that's the batting order. Sir, you have five minutes. Thank you so much, Chairman. When uh, I get to talk to my constituents about things such as digital tokens and cryptocurrency, stable coins, non-fungible tokens, people's eyes glaze over, right? And I think that's one of the challenges. Uh, as we're working in uh, legislation for this area. Uh, I'm also one of the co-chairs of the Blockchain Caucus and have uh, worked with uh, folks on both sides of the aisle to try to come up with a, a legislative regime to define jurisdiction between the CFTC, FTC, SEC. And, uh, and so first, uh, if we were to define a digital asset uh, how do you think it should be defined? And I'm going to leave that open for the whole panel, and then we'll go to jurisdiction next. But, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, thank you. And, Mr. Soto, I must say, it's nice to see you again. The last time I saw you, we were playing guitars in this very room. We were rocking it out. 
former chairman. We're uh, rocking it Peterson's out, definitely. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Graywall said something interesting before I want to actually build on it, answering that question. When looking at any crypto, I think it's important to look at the underlying blockchain. The value is in what does the underlying blockchain do? What, what is its purpose? What does it serve? And it can serve in many different functions. There are some that say all cryptos are securities, but I think that's only if the case if the underlying um, blockchain serves a capital formation purpose. A, an underlying blockchain may serve something that looks like a commodity. It may serve something that looks like a banking function. It may look like something that does uh, governance. It may look like something that creates um, different forms of art forms. The, 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 this technology doesn't easily fit into one simple box. And so the answer to the question lies in what is the purpose of the underlying blockchain? What purpose does it serve? And that's why it is challenging. And again, we commend, I think all my colleagues commend this committee for the very healthy first stab it's taken at this and to try to come up with some definitions that will work as a lasting legal framework that we can adopt. And Chairman, therein lies the, the problem, right? It could be a commodity, it could be a security, it could be a currency. Uh, Mr. Grewal, where do you think we should line up in digital assets, and do you have any opinions on, on jurisdic where jurisdictions should lie between CFTC, SEC, and potentially FTC as well? Thank you very much, Congressman. I, I think the discussion draft actually uh, goes a great distance towards, the, towards the, striking the right balance, because as you've rightly pointed out, um, these assets um, are um, uh, uh, and often do serve a myriad of purposes and, and, and reflect a myriad of qualities. I, I think that um, the most important thing that, um, that is, is ought to be considered here, and I believe is reflected in the current draft, is to acknowledge that the characteristics of assets can and do change over time. It may be the case, particularly for assets that were uh, created solely for the purpose of capital formation, as, as, as Mr. Giancarlo uh, identifies, that the asset is initially tr properly treated as a security and remains and should continue to be treated as a security for all time. But there are many other assets which evolve as they decentralize and as the information asymmetry between a small group of people with unique access to the operation of the, of the network um, changes and you have broader distribution of the assets in ways that uh, really require a different type of disclosure for a different type of participant in the network. That's why I think the discussion graph uh, strikes the right balance. Thanks, thank you, Mr. Grewell. And our uh, Clarity Act with Representative Emmer actually goes into the taxation part of this. Uh, Commissioner Gallander, Gallagher, where do you see us defining digital assets and, and jurisdiction? I, Congressman, I don't have much to add from what's already been said. I do think the discussion draft does a really fine job of, of getting at this very tough issue. These products do change. Uh, you know, we recognize the, def the basic definition, right, is, is basically a blockchain-based asset. Um, you know, we talk in terms of coins um, at Robinhood. And, um, and I do think, you know, setting the definition and, and having legislation that anticipates the life cycle and the, the potential for change in, in these assets is critically important. Thank you. I'll point out too, our Robinhood customers, you said your constituents, uh, you know, their eyes roll over. Our, our, our customers, their eyes get real big when they start talking about crypto assets. I said glaze over, not roll glaze over. over. So glaze like, over, glaze over. Like it's okay. complicated, right. not that make they're sure the sarcastic clear. about it, just for the record. <laughs> M M Commissioner Berkowitz, where, do, where should we 
falling Actually, I, I on find, digital assets. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that I found an issue where I, I agree with my colleagues in terms of the definition of digital asset, in the terms that assets can change o over time. But I would emphasize again, and I think I'm in agreement with uh, uh, my former chairman, that the technological uh, description of the asset or the technology by which it's traded or distributed is not determinative of what it's a security. It's its functional nature as a capital-raising instrument. That is, so I would have the digital asset apart from the definition of security. Thank, Thank you. you, my time's expired. The Honorable Gentleman from New York, Mr. Mar Mr. Molinaro. That was a, a very kind introduction, uh, Mr. Chairman. I, uh, I appreciate that uh, very much. I don't play the guitar, but I'm very happy the two of you could at least agree for a moment. Um, uh, uh, thanks, Mr. Chairman. Uh, so I, I, I want to return to the very uh, question of uh, uh, defining decentralization. And I think, of course, we all recognize uh, that the success of, uh, of this particular proposed uh, legislation uh, is really found uh, here in establishing a process that, that accommodates uh, tokens that mature and become decentralized over time. So, Mr. Giancarlo, I, I'm just going to return to this uh, with you. Uh, the discussion uh, draft does both, but your testimony stated the CFTC and SEC should work together uh, to certify a blockchain that, that a blockchain is decentralized. Uh, right now, of course, it's uh, only the SEC's role uh, is defined within the draft. Uh, can you just elaborate how, how might that function? And, and by the way, I, I perhaps address the, this question of anonymity. Obviously, how, how do we how, how can we prove decentralization? as the draft is written. Yeah, so, so the, the point I made in my testimony and to answer the first part of your question is I, I think it's finally important that the CFTC have a, uh, a role in that determination as to whether a protocol is sufficiently uh, decentralized to be a commodity because at the end of the day, the CFTC will then have to regulate it and will have to make sure that it trades on its regulated exchanges. So I think that leaving that decision only to one agency as opposed to two agencies, they both have a vested interest, and hopefully um, uh, we, the bill can put together a mechanism where, where the two agencies can come together on that determination. In my testimony, I also said that the determination that something having been decentralized might become centralized sufficient to become a security, I think is also something there should be a mutuality of in input into that determination. So it's one of the in, uh, suggestions that I've made for, I think, improvement of the bill to make sure that the CFTC's role in that decentralization, centralization determination is recognized in the legislation. And, and so as written, though, do we have the tools or the tools in place to adequately identify that decentralization? And I think the, the question of anonymity is, is, a, is a problem, right? Who, who owns how much of what? Right. You know, in the commodities world, unlike in the securities world, before we even get into digital assets, you know, when it comes to commodities that come out of the ground as opposed to, which the CFTC regulates as opposed to securities that are issued by corporations, that distinction is quite clear, right? And there is no disclosure on coal or wheat or other commodities from a central party. What do market participants there do? And I was making this point earlier. They rely on third parties to provide a lot of that data set. And today, even in the, in the, in the decentralized digital asset space, there are third parties, there are chain analysis, there are other firms that are actually providing very good data sets. So as we think about a world of decentralized digital commodities, we shouldn't have to use old forms and think there should be somebody in the center that's issuing disclosure. There will be third parties stepping up, providing very good analysis that people investing in digital commodities will look to. 
I'm confident we're going to dive deeper into this topic. I want to just switch, uh, uh, if I could, uh, uh, Mr. Berkowitz. The uh, Dodd-Frank Act uh, significantly expanded the jurisdiction of CFTC to include the 500 tri uh, trillion swaps market, uh, which required the agency to undertake uh, significant new rulemaking. Uh, was the Commission able to effectively implement those new rules, and do you believe the swaps market is now better regulated than it was before Dodd-Frank? Absolutely, uh, Congressman. Um, uh, the uh, Dodd-Frank Act, I believe, has significantly improved the resilience and uh, reduced systemic risks in the previously unregulated swap market. And it's very, uh, uh, I'm very privileged and proud of having the opportunity to, to serve at the CFTC at, at, at that time. But I, I would say that the joint rulemakings that the CFTC did with the uh, SEC uh, during that time were really very resource intensive and a very high priority of both chairs, uh, Chair Gensler and Chair Shapiro really put those joint rulemakings at a very high priority, uh, but it was successful in, in the end, I believe. Sure, and uh, this alludes to uh, or, or touches on something you alluded to earlier. If, if given the proper authority and resources from Congress, is there any reason to expect that the agency would not be able to issue oversight over digital commodity spot markets? The non-security digital spot markets without affecting current agency yeah. jurisdictions, yes, I sure. believe so. Uh, let me just ask generally, uh, this is more for the people at home uh, who do understand this piece, If uh, is the risk of scams or another FTX-like scandal more likely with or without congressional action to anyone? Without. Agree, without. Agree. Concur. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Before we close today's hearing, uh, we would ask for some closing comments from the ranking member, Mr. David Scott. Well, thank you very much. And uh, first, I want to thank Chairman Beanham, our current CFTC chairman, for his comments and insight earlier this morning. And uh, now for this panel, I want to thank the Honorable J. Crippard Giancarlo, former chairman of the Commodities Future Trading Commission. Mr. Paul Crewell, chief legal officer of Coinbase. Thank you. The Honorable Don Gallagher, chief legal compliance and corporate affairs officer of Robinhood Markets, Inc., former commissioner also of the United States Securities Exchange Commission. Thank you. Then the Honorable Don Berkowitz, former Commissioner, Commodities and Future Trading Commission, and the Honorable Walter Lucan, President and Chief Executive Officer of Future Industry Association and former Acting Chairman of the Commodities Future Trading Commission. We've had just a spectacular and informative hearing from you all. And we are burdened with two very serious challenges. First of all, to deal with this uh, new and emerging aspect of our great financial system. And then we got two different agencies handling the regulation of it, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the CFTC, Commodities and Securities, all there together. But the big issue 
that we have yet to deal with and we've got to deal with is making sure that we uh, appropriate the proper funding so that you can do the job. And uh, that's our job. And that's why this hearing was so important. We got to do it right. And we can't skimp with this. This is the biggest challenge facing our financial system, certainly in most of our lifetime here. We face many challenges in the history of our great nation's financial system. But this one is revolutionary, and we got to make sure we fund it properly. And so we look to you to work with us here in Congress to make sure that we provide you with the resources, the financial strength to do the job and to do it right for the American people and our nation and the world because this could be very critical to do it right, to keep our economy and financial system number one in the world. Thank you for your valuable contribution. Washington, D.C. is a town that sometimes confuses activity with progress. We're all running a million miles a minute. And so after each hearing, I try to take just a few seconds to ask myself what major themes uh, appeared out of that hearing. And to me, it was, it's crystal clear what we've heard from both panels today, as well as from the questions and statements of the members, three major themes. First off, uh, there is uncertainty surrounding the transition of digital assets from security to commodity, and that that uncertainty injures innovation and market activity in this country. That's number one. Number two, that there, uh, we are in need of a spot market regulator in the digital asset space. Uh, number three, that the discussion draft uh, makes important and serious advancements in closing both of those gaps. And so I want to thank our panelists for helping uh, for us to, I think, fill out those themes a bit to give us some sense of how the discussion draft can be strengthened and what the path forward might look like. And uh, with that, I would note that under the rules of the committee, the record of today's hearing will remain open for 10 calendar days to receive additional material and supplemental written responses from the witnesses to any questions that were posed to them by members. And unless there's anything else to become before this committee, we will stand adjourned.